offense didn't look so good. Nope, because of karma, obviously. That fucking guy. He refused to dunk on Sean Payton, and the karmic forces of the universe said, what the fuck is wrong with you? We had a plan, and now you must pay. That's why you don't ever, you don't fuck with karma in that, you don't ever think about future karma. You just do, and you allow the universe to unfold as it will, because you can't know. Here we are, Abe Cast Iron Brains, a podcast here on Earth during the Cenozoic era of the Phanerozoic Eon, which may not be the best time to be alive, just by reading the news and listening to all the people, but it's certainly better than all the other eras and eons, so far as we can tell. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? If it's not the best era to be alive, but it's better than all of the other ones, isn't it the best one? I think you got me there. You're a fucking idiot. Uh, colloquially, you know, people complain all the time about mm. the best time and then not the, you know. Nope. Tonight is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. My brother Ryan's birthday. Look Happy at birthday, that. Another Ryan. birthday episode. Yet another birthday episode. Seems like they happen all the goddamn time. You know what my uh, favorite people in the world don't do on their birthdays, though, Abe? They don't insist on everyone gathering in foreign countries in order to celebrate them. Even uh, if it's like a round kind of like 40th or 50th or like Jimmy Carter had his 99th, you know, like some big occasion. 99 birthdays for the great Jimmy Carter. Did you see a picture, the picture that went around of him in the parade? Like he and Rosalind got in the back of an SUV. With a Braves hat? Yep, he had a Braves hat on. He looked like... He looked like he looked death like- in a Braves hat is what Jimmy Carter <laughs> looked like in that picture. Uh, it he, was re- he, yeah, he looked 99. I mean, Yeah, extremely 99 in, in the steel shot. And I'm sure not much better in the video. Uh, uh, good for Jimmy, though. And I have some good news, actually. Let's do that right now so that uh, we don't have to do it later. Uh Many of our interests collide here, Abe, because Mark Strassman went to Plains, Georgia. Oh, that's right. And uh, and gave a report. I'm a little annoyed you haven't been there. Me or Abe? Abe. Yeah, I've, I I uh, have not. I'll get to really it. Go. Is it like a very small town? You're like, gonna just- go visit Plains. And Jimmy Carter is going to die in a fire. That's what's going to happen. Look at <laughs> look at Maggie's I mean, face. Look at Maggie's face in this still shot. Maggie's like, hey, you wouldn't fucking believe it, but Jimmy Carter's still alive. That's the face that she's making. There's a big birthday celebration in Georgia this weekend for our 39th president. Mark Strassman has the details. Happy birthday. They're celebrating a birthday in tiny Plains, Georgia. Grab a cupcake. Jimmy Carter's birthplace 99 years ago today. Get down there and hang out as a family. You know, just be a a really small private event. Um, He he can't party like he used to uh, for his 99th birthday. So none of us can. (laughs) Right. None of us can. That's exactly right. 
I love you, Jimmy Carter. Happy birthday. Americans celebrate with him. Amen. The famous... And happy birthday, President Carter. And the everyday... A Jimmy Carter peanut gallery of well-wishers. The White House wooden cake, 39 candles for the 39th president. It's some salute, considering most Americans alive today were born after Jimmy Carter left the White House in 1981 and moved back here That sign is up to all the time. He's like the father of the town. He's the heart of the town. And we just celebrate him every day. When Carter entered hospice back in February, his family thought he had days to live. Seven months later, Me he's too. earned all this birthday fuss. He's modest, and um, but, you know, he smiles, he, he likes the attention. He's proud of it. He's very proud of it. Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, now married 77 years, will celebrate the day as true Southerners with family, fried chicken, and caramel cake. His favorite. They've gotten to experience this outpouring of support over these last several months that has really been gratifying. And we also want to wish President Carter a happy birthday from all of us here at Face the Nation. Abe did. Senior national news correspondent for CBS News, Mark Strassman, get off a good one in Plains, Georgia this weekend. No. no. Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. Oh, uh, he but did. The, the peanut the, gallery. <laughs> Lori liked the the, uh, the veritable peanut gallery of well-wishers, I think is what the line was. Yeah, that, that's not bad. They should just let him just stay there, right? I mean, uh, they'll he probably be an additional there. story. No, no, Strassman, not Yeah, Strassman not didn't need to go far. I could just start working on the next story about planes. Look, I, I'm not saying that Strassman can't stretch himself to do basically anything. He being not only CBS News' senior national news correspondent, but arguably the greatest to ever embrace the form of uh, short-form television journalism. Uh, but I'm not sure that if I were a news director at CBS News that Strassman carries with him the gravitas necessary oh. to <laughs> the, the Carter obituary piece. I just – I would cry, not – Bob. He's I would listening. not trust him. So you're, you're saying go do this soft I'm saying, uh, piece. I'm saying uh, that what he would do is definitely refer back to that uh, Mr. Peanut Super Bowl commercial debacle <laughs> where, where they killed off Mr. Peanut. That would almost certainly come up, and we can't have that. So, sorry, Strasser. You're not so going if, out there. If so you're the CBS News decider, and you're not sending Strassman uh, for the uh, coverage? It'll be somebody more uh, gra- with more I mean, gravitas? am I me? In that yeah. job, or am I like uh, someone who's come up through the I ranks at C- CBS News? Is the question. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> if I'm me, you. <laughs> only Mark Strassman goes and does anything, and we remake the entire CBS effort modeled after we rename Mark News Strassman. Mark Strassman. <laughs> that's right. Mark Strassman hosts Face the Nation and also. Uh, the nightly news product, and also he replaces Tony DeCopel on the morning show. <laughs> so he's like going to be like the Stephen A. guy for like CBS. He'll just be everywhere. Um, I don't know if he uh, Strassman just said that at the end, just just to kind of say it. But like, do ninety nine year olds eat like fried chicken? Is it? I always just thought like, but by the end of your life, like you're not eating just like uh, I don't risky think- food like that. I don't think he's he eaten anything he ate in the last he seven said months. He celebrated with it's it. It's just been okay. So it's just like in his presence, like the chicken. Yeah. IVs and protein paste and whatever else they can get uh, down yeah, his throat. Yeah, that sounds more like it, right? 
like yeah, softer he did, food. Yeah, they didn't say he ate fried chicken. His, uh, said he celebrated with fried chicken. Yeah, I mean, they, the White House built him a wooden cake. It's not like he's, he's not going to get a slice. He's way too fucking old. The grandson has no credibility whatsoever, by the way. he's He's been giving interviews over the last couple of weeks talking about how, well, yeah, I mean, the last few months, really. Yeah, he's really on his last legs. Both of them are uh, they're right at death's door. He keeps, I, 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 he keeps saying it like he's trying to wish it into existence. <laughs> I mean, he's defying probably all expectations. I mean, like Strassman said, like they're expecting maybe days once he went into hospice care, and it's been more than that. Uh, his... Uh, grandson has made several attempts at office like to use like his name hey, i'm carter's grandson like vote for me like in favorable districts uh and uh it just wouldn't take yeah so i guess he's just doing that this now just waiting for his old grandpa to die hey we are now october 2nd right we are in the final quarter oh geez of the year we have yes. we have nine months in to the second year that you, I mean you're. You, this was not a you're prediction. Bad at this, Abe. this was not a prediction made for 2023. <laughs> I want be to be fair, clear. It was eventually it was re-upped to 2023. Is Jimmy Carter going to hold on through the end of this calendar year and make it to 2024? Not only that, he will not make it to uh, December, the first of December, right? So it'll be within the next. Wow. Eight weeks, days. eight yes. weeks, nine weeks, something like that. Yes. Bold. And, and for the record, the, uh, the the queen died right on schedule. Like uh, she played it right. Uh, this guy, not so much. So, what are we gonna do? What'd you get up to this weekend, Abe? Anything uh, noteworthy or interesting? Nothing noteworthy. I mean, like at the end, uh, when we do, what did you watch? I watched uh, like a couple of movies. I saw that uh, David Byrne, whatever, uh, stop making sense thing uh, with. The Talking Heads, that's who it is, yes. Um, right. And then I watched football over the weekend, but nothing beyond We that. went to Philadelphia, or just outside of Philadelphia. I got in the car, drove up for Andrew and uh, Dre's wedding. How was it? It was beautiful. It was great. It went perfectly, went off perfectly well. I think there were no problems. Our kids got to do their little, they were involved in the wedding as a one of two sort of sketches. Oh, nice. I mean, they, were, they basically did a comedy routine uh, in the middle of the wedding, which uh, went over very well. They, they uh, wrote their own thing? Yes, they wrote a, well, sort of. They wrote, uh, they were asked. We tied them down and made them write stuff. Right. They were asked to write a poem or something explaining or talking about marriage and love and that sort of thing. Right. And my son spent uh, about six to eight weeks throwing his body down on the floor and the couch when he was supposed to be writing this. Much in the fashion that it would take me uh, to write something of any substance whatsoever, even if I have a pretty good idea. You'll Calvin often, has completed more writing than Bob has that's this not year. True. You'll often find <laughs> me throwing my body onto the floor and the couch in agony at the prospect of having to drag the words out of myself. Uh, and he's following suit in that fashion. But he, uh, Katie wrote like eight pages of diary entry, just run the on got nonsense. Shit done, nice. as usual. About, say, hey, do this thing. And the woman goes, okay, I'll do that. Here. Here are 
the ceaseless thoughts pouring from my brain slightly uh, around the universe of the word marriage. It's it's like, uh, okay, I can write 40 sentences about that. No problem. Without even thinking. It's just, oh, oh, do, do, do. Uh, Calvin struggled, uh, but eventually got enough sentences down on the page where I was able to, like, they composed, right? They wrote the words and I arranged. I, ah. I, I took what they had written and turned it into something that sounded uh, fairly coherent, and it went off very well. Uh, and it was, it was good. This is, they did this, like, at the reception? Like, I wonder, like, is this like no, a, no, in the a, midst a of the, ceremony? Instead of any of the, like, religious weird stuff or any, uh, <laughs> any, anything of, like, of anything official, they just had my grandmother come up and give a little speech about uh, she, she being quite aged, she's uh, she's very old. She's the uh-huh. oldest person that they know, probably. So they invited her to do stuff, and then my kids are the sort of the youngest people that they know who aren't who are, who are capable of expressing themselves in any any such fashion. And so I think that was sort of the idea is we're going to have well, this. And it was the oldest person at the wedding and the youngest people at the wedding, right? And so exactly the bookends, as you said, Abe, were there to uh, give their thoughts and blessings to the proceedings. And yeah, otherwise. Uh, beautiful situation there it was that's an interesting uh approach was this something that they came up with or just like a thing like it's like a i don't know i've never seen tradition. it done no, quite they, this way before these are people who dated for like nine years and spent the last like three years going to all of their friends weddings so okay they, so they picked up some things they got to i mean i'm not saying they picked it up but like they've had a lot of time to think about what they do and don't want at their own wedding. So there was no uh, religious component? No. I mean, there was, like, uh, his aunt, my former step-aunt, because we have a weird family, uh, was the efficient, or she was there giving the but whatever. But efficient in the way where you can just print something online and you're like yeah, a she whatever? Was not- yeah, I don't think that she's... Yeah. No, she's never done that before. No, no, she's never done it before. She did it. She, she got was very good. Fake ordained by some online okay, institution. Okay, so like just and, to, hey, yeah, yeah, and what? She, she probably had to fill out a piece of paper in in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to to make state, it official, isn't it? I thought Pennsylvania is another Commonwealth, wasn't it? Because yeah, it is Massachusetts, four, Pennsylvania, four Virginia, yeah. Kentucky. Yeah, that's very important that we know that. Uh, I think she was probably certainly certified legally to do it. Uh, but in terms of the uh, not big on the God stuff oh, there. There was no religion in the ceremony that I noticed. Oh, I see. so this wasn't held like at a ch- uh, for some reason. I don't know why. Just in my head, I just assumed it was like at a church or something. No, it was at an anthropology. It was great. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Apparently, anthropology, the fancy clothing store also has wedding venues that you can wow. rent out. Some smart awesome. business person like, hey, we can just <laughs> get the side business. It was very good. That yeah, was good, and we all got uh, dressed up and looked like dopes, uh, and like I it, looked awesome because my makeup was done professionally. It's a very weird thing that we do. I mean, obviously, I, it's so weird. It, it what is. What is the weird part? The, the weird the, thing it's it's just across cultures. It's like okay, people are getting married. Let's dress nice. Oh, let's I see. All get to, let's all gather from from all of our I... far-flung people that we know vaguely. We're going to bring them all together, and then we're going to eat this gigantic meal. Well, and the food, it makes – that's just – but the getting dressed up part, 
It seems to be most cultures doing this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, it, it, it is kind of a universal thing. Why are we thing. getting dressed up? But, but isn't this like a, uh, it falls under like life events? You know, so back in the day, there weren't all these other forms of You don't get like dressed up amusement. when someone's born. No, but if you go to a, like, you know, funeral, people usually will put something on. Um, I mean, I know, not like weird. formal like uh, like this, but, you know, sometimes they'll be like not so much how fancy you wear it, but like the color scheme. Like they want like, right. black Stry- or Trying some to other communicate thing. something, yeah. Right, right. It's like, oh, if it's a solemn occasion. But yeah, like maybe people are just like, if there's an opportunity to like celebrate, people will kind of take advantage of that. And they're like, hey, we don't see, you know, the, the extended family, they don't see each other. There aren't many occasions to see each other. Wedding is the yeah. one thing. Because like if a kid is born, people don't if you're an extended family, you're not gonna go out of way to see some kid. But well, if that's a what wedding. like a christening or whatever is, but you get dressed up for that too. Okay. But yeah, so Yeah, it was fun. And you know, we're not we big a very uh, nice time. We're not big party people. As soon as the music got loud, we stepped right outside and like <laughs> but it was nice because it was like the the reception was right there next to where they had the ceremony so like there's the ceremony and then the the shades came up and you stepped across the sidewalk sort of into the cocktail hour and then the doors opened and you stepped through the threshold into the dining room and oh, the wow. dance area where so it all just happened in a very awesome. compact area nice and setup. you could you could be inside where the music was extraordinarily loud or you could just be outside sort of on the patio where the bar was and uh, there were uh, heat lamps and, and standing around and drinking and eating stuff it's a very good setup i don't understand the appeal of i mean this goes for the club it goes for the wedding it goes for basically every venue ever why does it have to be so godforsaken no, no, loud no. because if you're at the club or at a concert you're not trying to have a conversation. Right, That's I didn't mean not the club, but like the for. bar, like a place where you wouldn't necessarily yeah. go to like dance and throw your body around, but you're yeah. there to have conversation with people. Why is it so goddamn loud in the bar? And it's like the, they turn the music up. It was so, that so loud. The people in at the tables have to then talk louder and then they have to turn the music up even louder in order to be hit, heard over the people talking. And then the people are just by the end of it, just screaming at each other. Like, uh, that's why my voice is gone. Yeah. And also I might have a cold, but caused by staying up late talking. I see. Yeah. Too loud. Uh both of you, uh, were you guys ever okay with loudness? Like in I love at- loud we went to a concert and I would say it was not loud enough. It was due to where our seats were. It's not it was it, the appropriate amount of loud. It was not okay. we brought the children. Yeah, the kids came, we went so to it see was good. Uh oh that's right. What you call it? The Dropkick Murphys. Uh, perfectly good concert. They're not like one of my favorite bands. I think that they made basically one really fun, good record. The Bob Bla- doesn't like punk music, and it's fine. Blackout record is a good one. Uh, eh, I, I don't even know if you can call them punk. They're they're sort of but punk you don't, adjacent. But I'm not calling them punk. I'm saying you don't like punk music, so it's not your thing. Sure, uh, but still, they're fun. They put on a good show. They're great, but and it was not loud enough for me. Com- and like, the wedding was louder than that. I don't know if the wedding was louder it than was that. That's whatever. ridiculous. That's <laughs> a silly thing to say. I swear, that the concert was, was so fucking loud. Uh, no, I didn't feel like it was loud enough. <laughs> but that's my own problem because I wouldn't normally see that concert from far back where children might be. 
I would be in the speaker. We were basically in the middle of that venue. I don't know what we were. We were were almost exactly in the the middle of the venue. We were right where the sound guy sets up in order to make sure that the sound is good. Like to me, it sounded great. As far as the, it it was very clear. It was not the. It was not professional rock band. Yeah, it was not overdoing the the setup or anything like that. It sounded very good, and was not too loud. Uh, Well, yeah, they're a fun band, and they put on a good show, and it was a perfectly good show. Uh, for a kid's first concert, I think. And it makes me want to take them to music that they already know. Because, like, it's it's one thing to have heard okay. these songs, like, one time. Whose fault is it they don't know it? Yeah, I suppose. Your I, fault. Why would I be playing them fucking Dropkick Murphys on repeat all the time? it's great. It's fine. Why would you play them Red Hot Chili Peppers all the time? Because they like it, and it's way better. They like it because Murphys. you play it. <laughs> Anyway, all beside the point. And even to some my complaining about the noise and the reception is a little bit beside the point. But like when you're sitting down to have the dinner part of the of the wedding, like the the DJ does not have to turn up the music so loud right. that you have like literally have to yell to be heard by the person more than one seat away from you just right. in order for any chance and the whole point of sitting down at a at a wedding is to be able to talk to the people who these people who know you have decided you should be seated around because they think that you're going to have a good time catching up or just having right. a conversation or whatever and when they're playing that fucking music that fucking loud during the eating and talking portion of the evening it's uh it's too much right save it save it for when the dance floor opens you bums also uh, watching my brother dance with my mother made me realize that there is probably not an amount of human money that you could pay me to do that thing in the fashion that they did it. There's just, it is beyond my personal capability of even doing, I think. What that, did they do that's different than, I'm mean, imagining just like a, a Dance. They got up and they danced to yeah. some, I don't know, like some seventies like disco disco-y, like I could, I could something that you would have heard in a wedding a thousand times before. It's one of okay. those, like Donna fucking Summer or something like that. And you know, it, it's fine. I'm sure they appear to be having a very good time uh, doing that. But there's, there's just literally zero chance that that is something that I could bring myself to do. Is this because you're uh, just against dancing or is it like you just don't like the custom of like the, the father and the bride or the mother and the groom? And like just There are 120 people who know me intimately in the room, right? This is the setup. There's 120 some odd people that I have decided to invite from all corners of this country to come celebrate me. Yes. And then further, like, I don't know, 30 support staff who just work there, uh, <laughs> who, just, who are just walking around, who might catch a glimpse of the goings-on. Uh, there's no chance that I would put myself at the center of all of those eyeballs and then pretend to know how to dance or, and then <laughs> execute some, some, some stupid skit for the for the gathered masses, it's not now, happening. Uh, this uh, okay. So just to be clear, they didn't do like a whole dance, right? This is like this is not like Dancing with the Stars kind of 
coordination. No. This is like no, just like two and a half dance. minutes of like jumping around and like they swinging your mom though. around by her arm. Like it was, okay. uh, it was not something that they choreographed or practiced or anything like that. Okay. It was just awkward. Katie's gonna and... find out and make Bob do a dance. Is no, it's not. <laughs> Not in the cards. I'm raising her. I'm going to take the over on that. Uh, yeah, I think that's I'm raising happen. her to be someone who does not want such things. You don't know how children work. Yeah. She's going to do the opposite of what you want. Have you? Have you met your parents? You think they she, wanted you this way? She can do the opposite of what I want until she's 25 or 30, and then she's going to realize how wise all of the things that I wanted for her Just like you were. think about your parents. Yes, that is exactly how I think about my parents. Yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, it was great. It was beautiful, and uh, there are no complaints. I got to chat with my, my buddy Brian. Uh, about youth sports for the bulk of the evening uh, was the was the main thing that we talked about. Uh, as he is also a, a, a now fired little league coach, uh, we got to hear that story. What? Uh, <laughs> I can't possibly do it justice. <laughs> Just suffice it to say that uh, the extent to which we take little league seriously here in uh, in Charlottesville only scratches the surface of how seriously it is taken in other parts of the country. Oh, it's a different beast? Leagues. Or, it's or, really. or just in other leagues, yes. And wow. yeah, it's, it's serious business. It's interesting because I don't remember my coaches ever taking Little League nearly this seriously when we were kids. And we had fun, and we took it seriously. We wanted to win, and it was that sort of thing. And I, my question is sort of, being a child, did I just not realize how emotionally and psychologically invested the grown-ups were in the goings-on on the field? Or is it more likely the case that they didn't, they didn't care nearly as much as the coaches that I watch uh, in our league, and to some extent me even. Like, I don't know. Like, to me, I modeled my coaching as much as I can off of the two guys who were my favorite coaches growing up, which is uh, Coach Weimert uh, for soccer and Coach Zakatansky for baseball, who were mostly interested in making sure that all the kids had a good time and learned something about the sport and we're just like nice, affable guys who all of the kids liked, and like, uh, and and you like learn something about sportsmanship and being a good, you know, always trying your best and all of that shit. Like, is it just that I got super lucky with those two right. dudes, and in fact, the rest of the little league people were all fucking tryhard maniacs in the way that uh, so much of the the coaches that I encounter, even at this level, are, and certainly apparently that Brian uh, has encountered in in his league. Uh, or has something fundamentally changed in the culture that allows these uh, grown ass men to care so much about uh, a child's game? And I don't, I, I don't know the answer to it. I, I do wonder if like it attracts a certain. I mean, it obviously attracts different types of parents, but like there's got to be something behind why so many parents get into these uh, arguments. Sometimes it's not uh, coaches versus coaches. It's like you know, parents in the stands are taking some. Uh, you know, they take issue with some decision the umpire made, and there's right. like screaming argument. at fourteen year old umpires, just right. grown ass human beings screaming at at fourteen year old volunteer umpires. And I've seen a handful of like you know like uh, sixty minutes and less so, but like uh, real sports with Brian Gumble, like these news magazines uh, where they show like some 
parent gets mad at some ump, and in, in the example that I remember, it was an adult ump umpire. But they were like overseeing like kids, like little league, right? But the parent got so upset, like he like sucker punched the guy and killed him. Like, and, and this was just like one of the examples that they gave us to like how out of control some little league uh, fields have become, where parents are like getting into fights with other parents from, from the opposing team, with the managers who are other parents with the umpires, and I thought, like, there was, like, a bad period and things have gone out because I haven't heard much about it since. Like, this was, like, 10 years ago. I thought things were getting better, but it seems like some of the same issues remain. Yeah, and I don't I don't know. I don't know what what the hell is the matter with people. Um, let's see. Anything else to say about the wedding or the weekend? What else did we do? We watched football. We watched bad. a bunch of football. It was nearly bad. It was. Oh yeah, that was rough. Uh, this Georgia team is very. Hmm. I mean, they're let's, winning uh, all the games. And Lori might want to take off on us early, so let's do the thing that we usually we do, do. We have to do football and at then the I'm end of the show because Lori's not feeling well. Lori needs to sleep. Anyway, we were watching football. That Georgia Auburn game was really quite something. Certainly. Any uh, any thoughts on the on the Georgia Auburn game, Abe? I I, I uh, I'm most concerned about this uh, defense. Like when they go up against, you know, I think it was South yeah, Carolina. Man. Like a good, like a competent quarterback, they they look bad in the secondary with passing. Like a team that's semi decent at running, and they they allow I don't know, was over two hundred yards. It seems got like a good running back too. Like th- that, like that defense. Like the last couple of seasons were like you know. Even if the offense is kind of struggling, the defense will just shut it down. I actually think that this secondary is very good. I think that the secondary has proven fairly reliable. The, 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 the four in the back, I think, are good. That front seven is a complete mess right now, and there is nobody there who's really taking over games the way that we've had players take over games, whether it's uh, on the front front four or or one of the linebackers it seems like it's been a couple of years since we had a a game-changing linebacker uh at georgia um nolan smith last year he was good he was also hurt for the bulk of the season as i recall um so it seems like it's been a while and this auburn coach this fucking piece of shit hugh freeze had a good idea right which is let's just sort of run the option with the quarterback and barely throw the ball at all. And when they did throw the ball, it was short and quick, sort of work in the middle, uh, fucking with that linebacking core. And otherwise, it just worked really well. Every time that quarterback would keep it, he was gone for 10, 15, 20 yards. It's a very frustrating game to watch. Uh, but ultimately, we have Brock Bowers. And yes, boy. Also, that glad was Carson Beck's Bowers. first game, first road game. And Carson Beck was despite missing a couple of long ones was really, really good. I thought, and he has put together now uh, a handful of drives over the last, both in the South Carolina game and in this game that are near flawless in terms of uh, execution. And, and when you absolutely needed it, he was there to do the job. And I'm not, I have no idea what the rest of the season will bring. I think that we should be concerned, obviously about the fact that these have been close games against teams that are not expected to be very good uh, or, or don't appear to be very good. But I like the way that this team in the last two weeks has 
like it's not like it was a complete disaster. It's not like everything is falling apart. It's just that they are battling and they're staying in it and they're winning the game anyway. And who knows? It could be Ole Miss, which scored like 60 fucking points this weekend. It could be even Kentucky. Could be fucking Kentucky this weekend uh, with who, a running back. Could be Tennessee. Somebody is likely to get us at some point this season. And not it will Florida. just be, seemingly not Florida. Fuck no. Florida. No. But yeah, uh, it was fun. We were in the hotel lobby of a, an embassy suites outside of Philadelphia, watching on like an 85-inch screen, oh, and wow. being being those obnoxious people in the in the lobby hooting and hollering. <laughs> we're fucking. It's in the chant. It's it's built in. Also, in this embassy suites, I was going down the stairs, minding my own business, passed by two people, some man says georgia bulldogs and i said yeah i said yeah go dogs and he said roll tide i said how dare you (laughs) like fuck off sir (laughs) i wasn't doing anything i was walking down the stairs I, I didn't. I, I did not expect the Alabama. I, I, I would have assumed that he was going to tie it to like, oh, there's a lot of them in the with the Eagles, you know, since you're in well, Philly or something. That's the but, thing. We're yeah. in friendly territory right. in yeah. Philly. Like yeah. we're all on the same team here. <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck yeah. right off. Fuck you, that guy. So like, I don't <laughs> feel bad being a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan in a hotel lobby. It's very funny that you take that so like personally. Whereas like, I would say that to someone it's so part you said go dogs to him and he said he commented first (laughs) i would notice if he was wearing an auburn shirt i would think oh that's a very bad person walking down the stairs i wouldn't say auburn at least it would have been appropriate had the auburn guy said war eagle at you uh, given the sure fair the game this weekend he did not it was an out i don't even think he was an alabama fuck him no, that's the thing. It's inappropriate. He started the conversation. Yeah. If you say to someone, oh, that well, team, uh, you're going to assume, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid he got you is what the, <laughs> is what the moral of that's the story what the is here. Alabama fans have done that to me so much. Yeah. What's weird about this Alabama fan, me, you would think that would be an opportunity for him to say, okay, our interest aligned, like beat Auburn. You know, I yeah, hate, go you know, dogs, like, beat Auburn. There was somebody like positive like ways to talk about it, then he chose the... No, he doesn't. He was a very mean person. Yeah. I hope he was on that bus that caught on fire. <laughs> well, not very nice. He, he I don't hope he died. <laughs> I yeah, just hope that all his stuff got ruined. Second degree. And I hope that he thinks of me. All right. Have we uh, successfully completed the thing that you wanted to talk yeah, about? Yeah. Right. Unless you're going to talk about something else. We can talk about all sorts of things. I'm not done yet. Are you just going to talk? I'm just you getting talk rolling. About... Okay. We just got this boulder to the top of the hill here. We got to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. Boring trans and Scotus oh, stuff. God, How about no. that? Bob, you. Bob, hey, Bob has a problem. He's obsessed with this trans stuff. Oh, is not Certainly not it's obsessed like with the trans stuff. all of his podcasts stuff. are like trans podcasts. No, it just so happened that this week uh, Andrew Sullivan had on somebody who's uh, written a lot about trans stuff. Total coincidence. And so I, I put that on and we were listening to that in the car. And then, and then he then went to his trans podcast. The next podcast in the, in the lineup there on my app was 
something called a wider lens, which is a, a sort of an obnoxious way of phrasing a conversation around anything. If you're going to like the, the way they introduced this podcast, which, by the way, I think uh, has valuable material within it and it has interesting conversations a lot of the time. And again, uh, as with anything, you don't have to agree with everything that is said on any single topic to find it valuable to interact with. I know that's fucking anathema at this point. But they introduce the podcast every week with, uh, you know, like, we're a podcast that does this and this. And, you know, like podcasts do uh, because they're good at branding and I am not. And instead I write a new intro every week. Uh, she, one of the women says, the thinking person's take on gender. It's like, eh, you can't do that. Like you, you are poisoning the entire situation here when you say that uh, everybody else who thinks about this isn't thinking or not thinking clearly. And instead, if you're here to listen to us, you must be the smart ones. Right. Uh, and everybody anyway, else can Bob's fuck off. Anyway, Bob's obsessed with it. He can't let it go. I'm not obsessed with it. So I'm have fun with your chat about gender again. Why don't you talk about um, also police here's what we can talk about before Lori leaves because it made her sad last time uh mammals time on earth is half over scientists predict i don't trust this part of science half over that's still plenty of time they don't know anything they don't know yeah they think that they know but they don't know it's the new york times a new model suggests that in 250 million years all (laughs) land will collide into a supercontinent that boosts warming and pushes mammals to extinction. Oh, man. I, I, Whatever. I can't Good tell night. you how little I care about what happens 250 million years from now. Like, he doesn't care. It's funny that you don't care. To me, this was like, I laughed and laughed and laughed when I saw this uh, pop across the screen. Good night, Lori. Good night. Good night. I'm sure it was a function of what I had just been reading, like in the moments before. It was probably some like uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates are fighting about who's going to be the speaker moving forward, and this, you know, just petty fucking garbage nonsense about nothing. And then I pull up this tab, and it's like, you know, we've pretty much figured out that our time here is limited to just the next quarter of a billion years, and then there just won't be any more fucking humans. Uh, we're under a time crunch. Um, didn't the, the this whole planet start out with a, a, a big supercontinent? It worked out just fine. Yeah. So we that that's exactly what's going to happen again. Is that we were once a, uh, a Pangea, and apparently we are going to reform into a super Pangea of some sort. I forget the exact name for it. Is it just super Pangea? I don't know. Whatever. What's, what's uh, go ahead. It's going to amass uh, at the equator and the, the reformation of all of the continents into one landmass is going to create, as uh, the layman even might suspect, a great deal of, uh, of physical trauma to the yes. earth uh, when, when all of the continents uh, crash into each other. Uh, admittedly, it's a, it's a, it's a low-speed uh, transaction that happens be, yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's going to be a bad time, in, resulting in uh, devastating earthquakes and also uh, volcanic activity, the likes of which uh, the, the planet only sees once every fucking 500 million years or whatever, right? And so we'll, we'll also be uh, – this is uh, expected to happen around the equator. And so the, the 
average temperature, uh, the surface of the earth is going to exceed, I think, like 115 or 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which is not conducive to uh, uh, the way that we've been living up to this point, but also just the amount of uh, particles and particulate matter in the air and the blocking out of the sun, uh, it's just going to be a bad time. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough for mammals to survive, and if, if at all. You know, I, I do wonder. So let's say there are three possibilities, right, for humans, right? So either, like, so in 250 million years, we're either long gone already, right? Like we fucked up somehow and we're all dead, right? So we're already extinct and it doesn't matter. The other option is like we fucked off this planet and we found much better planets elsewhere, right? So like it doesn't matter again or like there's only so few people here that they can, you know, tolerate. It would have to be such a massive jump in technology. The likes of which... 250 million years is plenty of runaway. Come on, we we, we should be able to get that easily by then. Easily. Look what happened in the last 40 years. I mean, just extrapolate that, Bob. I mean... First of all, I, I, we don't know when the land mass is going to form precisely. Yeah, sure, 250 million years. But I would imagine that there, that's a long period of time for all sorts of cataclysmic events to take place, uh, which could, uh, in the intervening years, uh, wipe out hu- uh, humans uh, before then. But it's just, it's nice to have, I mean, nice, maybe not the word for it, but it's nice to know, because in my head, it was always like, okay, in like 2 billion years or so, the sun is going to expand to such a size that it will swallow up the earth. I think that's right. I think it's like oh. 2 billion years or so from now. Okay. So in, in my head, it was like, well, probably uh, significantly less than that, uh, obviously, humans will be, will be uh, disposed with. But uh, at the very far end of human survival, survivability in the solar system is like 2 billion years because eventually the sun gets so big that it just consumes everything all the way out to the earth, which is, is sort of impossible to really wrap your head around, right? Like, uh, uh, how do you even uh, consider that? Uh, but it's nice to now be able to lower that bar to just the next 250 million years. Yes. <laughs> of course. Uh, I mean, it's a bad time. Also, and this is uh, slightly related, uh, this is at the same time, uh, same week that I saw this short little am- animation going around on Twitter, which showed the Milky Way galaxy and the nearest other ga- the and- Andromeda galaxy. Uh, what's going to happen four to five billion years from now. Uh, this is a this is an artist's rendering, obviously. There's no uh, <laughs> no video of such thing. Uh, but uh, I'll make sure there's exclusive a, if somebody actually yeah. got footage. <laughs> I'll make sure there's a link in the show note. Uh, but but watch this. Oh man. Whoa. It's real bad. It's, uh, it's it's you gotta watch it again there. These oh. two galaxies, yeah, oh, bam, and they're just spinning off into nothing. Like every single piece of matter being so violently overthrown in that sort of a moment, which I don't know what this, uh, you know, like you watch these videos and it's like, uh, this is a time elapse thing. Right. And right. it's, this is, this is what's going to take place over the course of uh, five minutes, but you watch it. It's like 10 seconds. This is a 10 second video. I have no idea how long it takes uh, galaxies to slam into each other uh, 5 billion years from now, but it just the, the, the violence and obliteration of that, 
And the, the, I mean, obviously, thank goodness, uh, all mammals will be long gone uh, by then. That's Although right. maybe, may, maybe <laughs> we'll have come back a couple of times in the intervening billion years or so. Right. I I, I know that uh, none of us will be around to verify whether I'm right or wrong on this, but I can 100% guarantee you that this little uh, prediction, if it comes true, will not impact humans at all. Like, either we'll be long gone, or we will be beyond our stupid little human bodies, right? Like, come on. There's no way we're just dicking around with this human form, right, by then. Like, I'm sure there, there's going to be some movement away from that, like, you know, transcend into some sort of little chip. And we can survive That's, this. It's very optimistic of you. <laughs> Hominids are, I think, six or seven million years old, right? The, the, the first hominid type, I think, was seven million years ago. Uh, human beings, uh, as we know them today, roughly was it two hundred thousand years what, ago? Yeah, two hundred. Yeah. And I think there, every once in a while, there's like a claim that's like, ah, it's actually like four hundred thousand years ago. Like, ah, fuck, we found this other skull, and maybe it's maybe it's actually twice as long. But like, at the at the very outside, right. like half a million years yeah. would generous. be like a yeah. wild overestimation right. of how long human beings have been around. Uh, it's so no time at all in by any other scale right. beyond the scale of the human life. It's like none time. We're going right. to be gone. None of this shit matters. Uh, sorry, Kevin McCarthy, about the speakership and all of that. <laughs> but like, it's just and this story. And like, I was sitting around uh, talking with family at this uh, at this wedding that we were at, and of course, everybody's been drinking. Everybody's having a good time. Uh, but it's like the end of the night, and we're talking about more, more serious, more heavier things, uh, weightier, weightier uh, subjects. About life in like a quarter billion yeah, like, years from now. Well, no, not exactly that, but just like, like the sorts of stories that we tell about ourselves. Like, uh, I got cousins taking philosophy classes, and we're talking about religion and that sort of thing. It's it's good times. Uh, my mother said something about how. Uh, at some point over the course of this weekend, she was talking about how she believes that that the human soul or what have you sort of chooses its mates along the way. So like, uh, I would have chose, like we, we mutually chose each other in some former, uh, dimension of existence. Uh, my mother and I did. And, and presumably, uh, you and I, even, uh, if you're going to talk about the way that people, uh, interact with each other, like the, the idea being that, uh, this is not, coincidence that we we are uh, beings that exist beyond the corporeal form and right. uh, we we transcend that form as you're saying with the with the microchips perhaps on the on the long run uh but other others have more metaphysical ideas about how that works and that is a very common understanding at the very least some huge percentage of humans profess a belief in a soul that transcends the human body that is identifiable to them in many cases, that it's like one's identity is somehow uh, this soul thing uh, that is separate from the body. And like all of those are just made up stories. And I don't want to be, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be dismissive of anybody's beliefs, but but they're comforting, right? We are, yeah, they're supremely comforting, but they have no truth value, right? They have no, there's nothing to test them against. There's nothing about them that speaks to anything that could be considered. And this is where I get into trouble with objective versus subjective truth. But I think arguably even subjective truth 
it it does not withstand that level of scrutiny, right? Like right. there's there's it requires a telling yourself a story to such an extent that you cannot honestly call it truth in the way that that word is meant to have any actual meaning. Maybe that's just an old because I've long uh, argued with people about uh, objective reality versus subjective reality, and that's right. probably just a, a bugaboo of mine. But I. I I think it. I I actually think that that distinction matters, and I'm not picking on my mom for having for believing silly things that aren't true, uh, in particular. But like, we are a species, and and perhaps uniquely so, a species who relies on these sorts of stories, and and depends upon them, and and creates them, and there's just no other creature that is comparable in that way. Because they lack the capacity, though, right? I mean, if the other animals, I mean, we don't know their capacity. There's a lot of just estimating or just kind of guessing. Uh, but I suspect that we do this, like this attaching meaning and story to, to make sense of the world. It's kind of like, a, like your operating system. Like you have the computer, but then like people didn't know how to like the MS-DOS, like where you have to like go, do line of code. Like that's like... The objective reality and the subjective reality people are more comfortable with is the here's a portal into that world like through an operating system and that's like yeah. the story uh, and 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 so I don't know if we're the only ones because we're the only ones that choose to do that or we're the only ones capable of of you know the planet Earth types I don't know about the aliens but like here I don't know a dog doesn't like do this right like. Uh, I don't think we just right. No, and I think it's I think it's a, uh, I mean, uh, uh, evolutionary psychology being the sort of suspect domain that it is. Uh, I think that it is what has allowed us to like the stories that we tell. This insistence that we need each other, right, <laughs> or that there's something that transcends this bodily moment. Uh, you cannot build civilization in the way that we've built it uh, without. And not even the way that we've built it. In the way that any civilization is built, uh, if you cannot tell yourself a story about what came before and what comes after, right? Right. Just like it's it's just so much of our ability to survive as a species is tied into this story making and storytelling and story believing ability that we have uh, beyond uh, the the abilities of the other creatures. Uh, that we share the world with, right? And uh, that's why I'm, I'm seriously not trying to condemn it or or to dismiss it as something that doesn't matter. But it's also, I think, incredibly important to recognize that this this narrative building that we do might well be a function of of life trying to propagate itself. Uh, and and if you can if you can recognize that and step outside of whatever stories it is that you tell yourself about about you personally, uh, maybe then you can start to come to a greater understanding of the way the world actually works uh, around you. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe this was brought up in your uh, conversations uh, over the weekend. But, like, don't you think that, like, these stories uh, are almost kind of like a uh, survival uh, trait? Like, you needed – like, you know, for instance, like, hope is kind of a, of a story, right? Like, why, why do people have hope for things getting better? You're just imagining a world where whatever – short-term issues you're going through are not always going to be the case, or maybe your kids will have a better future. Like, you have to kind of believe that. Um, and so, like, you know, many, many generations before people were going through 
different hardships, like they were either like slaves or like indentured, whatever, or just living just terrible lives. But you, you know, like the rational, you know, what if everybody just committed like mass suicide? Like, fuck this, this is not working for me. Uh, the objective truth is that this sucks, and I'm going right. to fuck off. <laughs> the right? grand, the grand opt out. Right. That's like, what's the point of all of this? Because like, there's no like prospect of things getting better. You know, that's why I would just say people. I know I'm biased because I'm living in it, but like, life is so much better now. Where there's at least some mobility that you could do. Like in the past, you were just like, oh, I guess this is my life. I just fucking, I'm just gonna live this miserable life for like you know, however many years, and that's it, and my kids will live the same miserable life, and right. their kids... I'm going to move mud from this mud pit to that mud yeah. pit for this asshole who lives in the big house right. for the next 60 years of my miserable, miserable existence, and my kids are going to move the mud, and their kids are going to move the mud, and their kids' kids are going to move the mud, and that's just fucking life forever for thousands and thousands and thousands of generations of humans. Right. Uh, and it's and, like, and, yeah. Even even the ones that weren't indentured assholes and who had like hunter gatherer types, like I'm sure they had pretty good time from time to time. But like relatively speaking, yeah, uh, do we want to live those lives of, of <laughs> subsistence and hardship and cold and and hot? Especially and yeah, <laughs> the, the, the 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 I tell people like when people complain about the heat and how cold it is, whenever it does get cold, it's like you're like a few moments away from. Back to comfort, right? Like, you just go back into some air-conditioned place. Like, if it's, like, the dead of winter wherever, like, it's cold for, like, a little bit. Like, from your house to your car, and then for the couple moments it takes for it to heat up, uh, unless you have a fancy car. And then, like, the rest of the time, you're back to comfort. And same thing, like, I don't care how hot it is. Like, you know, unless you're, like, out in the elements at all times, you're you're protected from the real world. Like you're not why is the why is the general why are we completely incapable in a grand public way of appreciating how fucking good everything is? Because and yeah, it, I I think it's because you 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 acclimate to your environment remarkably fast, and it's a good thing in the other way. Where like you know uh, there are all these stories that come out every like six months where like these fucking kids are all fat and none of them can pass the the basic physical tests needed for the armed services, right? You always get these reports like 70% of the, the, the age-appropriate kids don't right. they need... Can't, they can't run a mile and they can't do 10 right. push-ups, right. right? Which is true now, but humans are very capable. If you, you can shape them up pretty quickly. Like within the year, you can shape anybody up, right? So like they're capable of that, uh, but they also like if something is easier, they'll gravitate towards the easy. And like, and, and it's just like... You just think this is normal. Like, so now you start complaining about the little things that aren't going away, right? So, like, we're kind of myopic in that way. You're, you have that perspective to, like, or a wider lens, if you will, to kind of see, like, hey, shit, shit could be a lot worse. Like, I should appreciate the, the good things that I do have. And actually, we're going in the opposite way with social media where, like, a, a lot of the stuff that gets engagement is, like, negative things or just, like, or just, like, fear, you know, like, something scary or somebody looks stupid. But it's not, like, positive kind of, like, of feedback or somebody else is living a great life and you're living the shit life. So like, I think that's, what's kind of contributing to why people don't appreciate, uh, the, the good things that, that they do have. I did want to say real quick on the, uh, why do people believe things that are just, you know, beyond, uh, something you can prove. Uh, I think it, if you look at it from a, again, like just a utilitarian kind of way, it's like, it's almost necessary. Like, like what will help you survive? Like, 
through the sticky years, right, or the sticky generations where things are not going well, we'll see each other again in better conditions, right? This whole heaven thing is a nice scheme because it's very comforting. It's good to know, like, like all of my family is in this bad situation, but once they die, whatever hardships that they endured, we'll see each other again and we'll live happily ever after. I mean, that's just such a nice and comforting thought. Even if you're not going through anything in any given moment, that's a nice and comforting thought. And no, of course, that's going to take a hold of people. And like, and it's everywhere, I right? It's, it's very universal. Like everywhere you go, even before they were contacted by other civilizations, everybody had their own little scheme about like what happens after and what happened before and soulmates and all this stuff. It's just like just a whole creation to serve a purpose of like stick around. Don't kill yourself. It protects you against like just killing yourself. Right. I think it makes it functionally impossible to truly appreciate the current moment. I mean, I think it, I think it psychologically literally makes it impossible to appreciate the current moment. If you imagine that there is some future utopia or some future metaphysical heaven in which your non-corporeal form will exist infinitely forever, how can you possibly appreciate the current moment? I don't, and I don't understand oh, that. Oh, you think, I that, think that, that? Like, why would why would that have an impact? You're like, oh, I don't care about these eighty years. I'll see you infinity later. Like, like, what? Why can't you enjoy both? Like, you enjoy if this you life. have to diso- if you have to dissociate so much from your current environment because of how painful it is, or because of how imperfect you believe it to be, then it. It, it it is the opposite of trying to appreciate the current moment, right? Well, it is it it is the exact opposite of trying to look around and appreciate for one second that we are uh, uh, an incredibly. I, I can't. It's it's such a trite thing to say, but to be alive in any conscious form is to exist. Which is better than to not exist. And I, I like it's... Well, unless you're I, going through like... Even if you're going through bad times, as you say. If you're like a prisoner in North Korea, you would like, oh, this is bad. It's better right. than- and it's, it's a very difficult thing to think about. There's right. literally someone in my state right now experiencing the most amount of pain, yes. more pain than anyone else in my state, right? right? And then you take those 50 assholes in the 50 states, and one of them is experiencing the most amount of pain yeah. out of 350 million people in the United States of America. And then out of that fucking guy there's somebody in canada who might be experiencing even more pain than that right now at the hands of some unimaginable cruelty to say nothing of what's going on with uh some uh prison camp in in north korea or or however else you want to uh frame it the suffering is unfathomable and yet on balance yes uh to be to be a uh, uh, being experiencing the world in the way that we get to, right? I mean, especially uh, to have some idea of your intelligence in the way that that uh, that we do, like to to be uh, self aware in that way. Like, holy fucking shit! Right. What an impossible gift, and it's so short, it's so temporary, and it's going to be gone so quickly. And to, and to try to escape it, or to try to imagine a more perfect future or a more perfect past. Uh, is is such a fucking shame to me. But, like, you know, don't you think that uh, a lot of... I mean, you know, th- there's a reason why so many of the ma- main religions, major religions, are very old, right? So, like, they were forged during a period where things were terrible, right? 
So I was like, ah, what, what you know, like Muslims was fifteen hundred years, the Christians two, you know, twenty twenty three uh, or two thousand years ago or so. The Jewish go further back. The Hindus do a similar uh, thing, like thousands of years ago, right? And like, as things get better, like religion is playing less of a role in people's lives because maybe things are getting better. So maybe there is some sort of very weak connection between the two. But the reason why people believe is because it's become the story of their their families, right? So like everything in, like, you know, if you're raised Roman Catholic or if you're like raised Muslim, there are all these traditions that are kind of tied to the religion. It just becomes a thing that's like the story. Like we're this, we're like, you know, Southern Baptist. Like my father was Southern Baptist and his father was Southern Baptist and here we are. And so you're just kind of like, I guess this is what I believe, right? Like I don't think that they, they, there's a lot of thought put into, at least initially, you're just like you're growing up in this type of family. And most people right. just and stick this is, to, to that. Not to, der- not to derail what you're getting at here, but uh, the reason that any of this conversation is even hap- happening is because I was insisting on the primacy or the utility of a philosophical education. That uh, though you do not... Uh, like I cannot point to anything that I learned in philosophy class. Right. Like I don't have I don't have the arguments that Kant and Hume were making on file in my brain in a way that is uh, useful to me at this point. I need to reread it. I need to refamiliarize myself with all of the the stuff if I even care to, which mostly I don't. That was not the thing that I gained from having read these people. The thing that I gained is that I it helped it helped me to question all of the things that I bring to the table in the stories that I tell, the things that I believe without even really thinking about them, to, to, to come into question. And I think that's an incredibly valuable thing to do when you are trying to be a person in the world, interacting with people who don't see the world as you do, right? Like it's important to recognize that the things that you believe, the stories that you tell about yourself, about your life, and about the the world around us are just that, and that fundamentally they stand on nothing, largely, that they, they, they don't actually contain real truth value. They're good for you, maybe. They work for you to tell that story, uh, but, but, but it's worth tearing down, it's worth examining uh, the extent to which those are they're, they're built on things that are not true, that, that are not lies. And it makes you a more humble person. It, 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 it creates in you a, a, a genuine humility about how – or yeah, sure, it can. Maybe it doesn't automatically. Right. But I think it can inculcate in a person a genuine humility about how to approach the world and the other people in it. And it, it – yeah. What if uh, – like – the reason why people uh, believe is that they they see the benefit in it, right? Like, just like you know, I I always think like, then you know, they don't believe, Abe. <laughs> they, what do you mean? They, no, no, they're not cognizant of of that why they believe. They right, but like they stick to it, and like their faith is like uh, not. They never question their faith because they kind of see the benefit of it because of. Like, let's say people go through these uh, weather events in life, you know, some tragic thing happens, you know, some, you know, their nephew, something happens to them and they die, you know, in a tragic way or like they, they get the, you know, they go through something that's like traumatic uh, and, and, and f- their faith gives them the comfort to go through that period, right? And they come out of it on the other side uh, and they see, you know, faith 
was there for me when da 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 right? Like, so this is kind of like reinforcing what they already believe, right? So they're not making some cynical argument like I am of them, but their experience of what happened is that they weathered through this storm. Yeah, they they have made a mistake about correlation and causality, I think, right, in an but, obvious but way. does it ultimately matter, right? Because you're living the life you're living, and, and, and your experience of it is going to be colored by what you believe, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff that uh, people today blame social media on, like with like teenagers having like this negative self-image, is because they're buying into the story of like what a teenager should be. And if that doesn't uh, correspond to their life, like I'm inadequate because of this, and they feel negative about themselves, right? So like the story you tell yourself about yourself is important because it'll impact you know, if you're just fucking like stressed out and anxious or you're living a very comfortable life. There's like a lot of religious people who are very like serene, right? And it could just be this whole thing could be a sham, right? Uh, but their experience of it is like serene. And so like, what do you say to that? Because like, I'm on the same side of as you on this, but like over the years, I'm like, you know, if you're still within that framework of believing, like you can't look at it from, I think I'm beyond that because like not beyond it, like I'm better, but just like the way that I think of it is that's like, it's just a whole a scheme just to kind of, I'm just kind of lying to myself to make myself right. feel better. But if you don't, if you're not thinking that and you just kind of take it sincerely, as long as you're not like killing somebody, I don't believe right. whatever. As long as you're not, as long as you're not bothering anyone else, yeah. then yeah, I'm not going to have a bone to pick with you. I right. think that, that's clear. And also, not clear. only that, I would I would encourage that they do that. How often are the true believers leaving all of the bones to be picked? Right, like they're not. The right. true believers are the ones who are most likely to be picking the bones and to to be having the problem with the way everyone else is living their life. So yeah, if you're just a a go along to get along sort of guy and you believe some nonsense because it helps you get through the day and it doesn't harm anybody else. Obviously I don't, I don't fucking care. Right. But I mean, how depressing they they probably think like, man, if there wasn't a, an afterlife, right. Uh, and, uh, this is just like, I'm just here on one day I'm alive, one day I'm dead. You know the 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 time what scale. What a spectacular miracle that is <laughs> no, to experience why, why, consciousness. Why is it a well, I'm going through like just the slightest thing. I step on a nail. What was the point of that? Like, had I not stepped on the nail, that would have been preferable. Like, if it's if it's meaningless, like, why do I even need to go through the point of stepping on the stupid nail? What do you mean by the- so? This is where I I never understand the meaningless thing because it's meaningless because in 250 million years, all of the dogs and cats and people and goats and other mammals will be extinct. We cannot. We there there will be very minimal uh, land life left on the planet because all. All of the good stuff's right. going to be in the ocean, and that's where it's going to. That's where you're going to be able to survive uh, in a serious way. None of it fucking matters. Like, what do you mean meaningless? Right, exactly. Like, uh, maybe you can reduce suffering a little bit in the short amount of time that you're on the planet. Maybe that can be your goal. Uh, but like, I, I don't know what the. I don't understand why they're not being some sort of ultimate reason for it all makes it meaningless. That's just. But okay, but even even taking religion out of it, people try to imbue meaning into their life in many different ways, right? Like they they try to give themselves find some purpose or some calling or something 
other than themselves. They have kids to kind of maybe let me, oh, my parents fucked this up. Let me try to correct that. Like, you know, you need something, some sort of like forward momentum thing. And so like if, if the, if your thinking is just like, ah, it's a pleasure to be part of this meaningless exercise in existence. Like, I think it doesn't work for a lot of people because it's just like, I can't put my hat on anything. Like, what, what, what is this? You want me to take comfort in just nothingness? But what if every explanation that can be offered is fucking paltry relative to the mystery of simply not knowing? And I think that that's sort of obvious too. Like, every single explanation for it offered by the paltry imagination of my fellow human beings, or at least the paltry imagination of my fellow human beings that can be swallowed by great masses of other human beings, right? Like, like if you're gonna if you're gonna water it down enough such that there can be a billion people walking around believing it, then probably it's not all that interesting. And I think that that uh, is sort of my feeling about the major religions of the does, world. Does it not give you pause why there's such an appetite? That it's such a universal, and not like, of course, you can put to any one person. But oh, because, no, because as they say, uh, half of all people are of below average intelligence, Abe, and I've met, <laughs> met a lot of people. But, you know, even the below average humans are just the cream of the crop when you compare them to all the other animals, right? I mean, even the dumbest, dumb, dumb, dummy, right, human is appreciably smarter than like 99.9% of these other things that are just hanging around, right? Because they're just, some of them are just like, eat, sleep, fuck. Like, you know, like the, right. these, these animals, right? They're not putting right. them up. <laughs> I get to go yeah. the other way. But like, so like, and so, okay, let's let's take that that half of the population that's under whatever the average is, right? Like, what is, like, religion's even better argument. They tell, here's a story great it ends well for you you know you're gonna see somebody <laughs> on the other side like that's an intoxicating story like your the alternative that you're offering which is like ah, hey, you're here then you're not like that argument is not going to work right so that's why i think it has failed every time because if, if yeah, i don't want it to catch on i don't ex- I, i'm not a, i'm not here to <laughs> obviously i'm not here to proselytize uh but you know, I just, I, I don't know. There's, there's something about, well, whatever. It was, it was a, it was a fun talk the other night. This is a fun talk now. Right. Uh, ultimately, I don't know. I'm, I'm so comfortable with saying, I don't know, I think is sort of what it comes down to. Yeah. And I say it all the time. I try to say it when I don't know things. And this is like any of these larger questions to me it's much more satisfying even to say i don't know than it is to say right uh this is what we've got figured out uh based on these lies that we're going to tell right. each other and and i'm i'm uh, uh i'll say this uh i'm also comfortable with that but i think a lot of people find that deeply uncomfortable it's got, i'm reminded of like the people who have this uh just uh they have their misgivings. You know, they're not, like, totally afraid of, like, flying to the point where, they, like, John Madden, like, they won't. Like, they'll still fly, but they try to get some sense of control by doing things. You know, like, oh, I'll, I will sit here or I'll, uh, you know, I'm not going to drink the, the whatever beverage that they give me. Or, like, I'll come a couple hours earlier or I'll take this drug to kind of, uh, you know, knock me out. Like, all of these right. things just to kind of, like, I need to kind of have some sense of control and – believing gives you that like hey 
It's all sorted out. Let me go play pickup basketball. Like I think it is a very tempting way to go about things. You just the only catch is that you have to actually believe it. If you don't believe it, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. All right. Uh, we should probably briefly talk about some news stuff today. Uh, let's see. There was we didn't talk about it on the show, but and I will use that to my advantage to say that uh, that twenty minute conversation that we had about. The government, the the looming government shutdown. Yes, Abe, we fucking nailed it. We, it was just, <laughs> we knew exactly what was coming. I, unfortunately, we didn't get recorded, so it didn't make it out into the into the podcasting world. That was, uh, uh, but uh, well done by you, uh, and an even better job by me in our analysis of the looming government shutdown. I, I will say the uh, the about face, like. Uh, People at work today were a little like I think a lot of people like in my job were like oh I, I wasn't even planning that we're gonna be here because like as of Friday basically everything looked like it was certain right you're you're checking out Airbnbs in Chattanooga well, or I, something like oh, I was ready we... to go Monday no matter what because I'm that kind of employee but I I've no, I know some uh, friends who scheduled things in the early October window uh, because they assumed this was gonna so, go. For- First of all, to make clear my ignorance, I thought that we were clear until the next Congress. I don't know why I thought that. I mean, I obviously my I was I was cleared up of this misunderstanding months ago. But for some reason, when they fixed this last time, I was under the impression that we were good through the end of the year. I don't know why I thought that. I know I said that on the show at the time that they did this last time. I thought for some reason that we were through uh like I January third or something, but uh, obviously we were not. I think. Are you mixing it up with the the debt ceiling talks that they? The, the, yes, I am. Okay. In my head, I had mixed that up with the debt ceiling conversation, right. which is yeah. There's all these different like things, but yeah, like the, 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 what's currently happening is they have this like forty five, forty seven day kind of kick the can down the road to kind of right. give more time. For them to right, and I believe, I mean, in all sincerity, what we said last, what I said last week was something like, I think this is going to go up to the very last moment, and then they will get something done that moves it along uh, a couple of months. And that's basically what I think I suggested that the Republicans would be the ones that, that the, the Freedom Caucus assholes, the Matt Gateses of the world, would make a big stink about it and then find a way to go ahead and vote it through. That was wrong, uh, because as it turns out, the Freedom Caucus assholes did not, and Matt Gates has now, even this evening, gone ahead and uh, filed a motion a motion to vacate the chair or whatever. That right. Basically, they're going to have a, a vote of no confidence in in uh, Kevin McCarthy. It seems kind of like a, a very small group because, like, what's interesting is uh, the reason I thought that basically a shutdown, at least for a little bit, was near certain because. The one thing, like the red line for McCarthy, based on what the concessions that the uh, like the Freedom Caucus types uh, extracted from him when they did the 15 rounds of voting for speakership, was that he was not going to put a bill on the floor uh, where he needed Democratic votes to put it over the top, right? And so right. Like, it would have to. I mean, the Democrats can vote along with us. But it has to be something that the Republican group is comfortable with, and then we'll get whatever extra votes that we need. Uh, that did not happen. There were um, like 200 Democratic votes to push this along in the House versus I think like 100 and change Republicans supporting it. 
McCarthy denied that, though, on the Sunday shows. He went on with uh, Maggie Brennan on Face the Nation and was like, hey, the Democrats were standing in the way of this. And she's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, they all, not all of them, but they, they're the only reason that, right. this, uh, that this went through. Republicans weren't going to be able to, to do it on their own. We did did, were you confident we wouldn't shut down? I was confident I could get something on the floor to make sure the option that we would not. But that you weren't our sure military, it was going to pass. Well, well, I wasn't sure it was going to pass. You want to know why? Because the Democrats tried to do everything they can not to let it pass. They did Democrats were the ones who voted did you, for this did you wa- in a did you larger number it? than Republicans to, to keep the continuing resolution alive. And, it, and, 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 and I don't know how, I mean, I, I guess McCarthy has to find a way to kind of deflect some of this but like it's kind of hard to make that case because this this continuing resolution that eventually did pass on saturday that was after attempts to pass something that uh got more support among the republicans but like the mad gates of the world were kind of undermining those efforts right so like there were more like uh there were uh Bills that were more favorable towards the Republicans, uh, the conservative ones anyways, uh, none of those went through. And then as a last ditch measure with like this like, you know, so, uh, you know, somewhat clean bill where like we won't include like additional funding for Ukraine. We won't have anything additional for the border. Everything else stay the same. We'll come back in November. Uh, But like that is why Matt Gates is, is doing this motion to vacate scheme is because he's saying that you did the thing you were not supposed to do because like these votes these democratic votes were available all along right so like you wait until the last minute to 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 strike this deal it'll be interesting to see what comes of this motion to vacate because it only takes one person to kind of kickstart the process but he'll need a lot more vote. you know you'll need a majority of the votes to remove uh mccarthy as speaker so now this kind of creates this weird situation where because some one of the Sunday uh, panel shows that I was watching, uh, they were talking about like, well, do you think the Democrats will support uh, removing him, or will they support to keep him because you know they'll still have to do business with them? Like, which direction would they go? And I can't imagine any scenario where they would be voting to keep, right? Like that that would not make any. Well, the sense. reason the reason that the Democrats will help Kevin McCarthy here is because he's obviously preferable to any other Republican alternative who could, I mean, it's silly to say who could become speaker because they're basically none of the crazies, none of the Matt Gates freedom caucus types can become speaker of the house. There is no viable alternative to Kevin McCarthy in part because no one else wants the job and the few others who do want the job simply would not be able to muster the the support that they would need uh, to get a majority of votes. And if that and, were, yeah. And the Democrats are not going to sit idly by and let Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or whoever become speaker, right? Whereas they can decide simply by uh, voting present, and if enough Democrats vote president present rather than vote against or for Kevin McCarthy, that lowers the threshold for what uh, makes a majority in the House, thereby allowing even 20 members of the of the Freedom Caucus to decide uh, not to vote. And if you, if you can just lower that threshold enough, you don't have to give your positive imprimatur to Kevin McCarthy if you're a Democrat. Uh, but you can say, look, at least uh, when it, when the uh, 
when our backs were against the wall in terms of this shutdown stuff, he was able to reach across the aisle and actually uh, get the government funded for another couple of months. And we'd rather be dealing with that guy than someone else. Wait, so just to be just to be clear, are you saying that uh, they're going to support uh, Kevin McCarthy's speakership by voting present or voting for? Just by voting president. Okay, uh, so, there, okay. so voting president. You there think will is- not be an affirmative vote okay. by a meaningful number of Democrats to say we want Kevin McCarthy to remain speaker. But after like because there's just maybe maybe it will be vacated. I'm not saying that's impossible. Maybe Kevin McCarthy is going to have to do this all again. Uh, and maybe the Democrats are just that invested in humiliating. And maybe Kevin McCarthy, as we've discussed before, <laughs> is kind of into that sort of yeah. thing, uh, the humiliation aspect of all of this. Um I don't see it going 15 votes again. I don't see them doing that stupid theater of the whole thing again. But like one can imagine a situation in which the Democrats are perfectly willing to let the Republicans make a spectacle of themselves for a couple of days, including uh, allowing the, the vacating motion to go through. And then eventually we just end up in the same situation that we were a week ago with Kevin McCarthy now uh, be- becoming the speaker sort of by – by the Democrats saying we're just not going to participate any longer. Okay, so you know uh, that, that's basically where, as far as uh, what what decision that the Democrats would would likely take is where I land too, which is basically just to vote present, kind of like let them sort it out. Uh, I do wonder though, like because my understanding is that the vote to remove is separate from the vote to nominate somebody else, right? So like you could have it to where you just vote present, and then they have enough. I don't think they'll have enough votes. I, I mean, my, my thinking is that nothing will come of this because there won't be enough Republican votes. Like, let's say all the Democratic uh, uh, votes are present, right? I'm sure there'll be a few that'll vote one way or the other, but let's just assume everybody else is out. Then you have, what, 221 Republican votes. You need to get half plus one of that. Like, do they have enough votes for that? Because this recent... Uh, continuing resolution like netted them like 91 republican votes that were against this like clean bill so i don't think they have a hundred and whatever votes well gates said i gates said quote i have enough republicans where at this point next week one of two things will happen kevin mccarthy won't be the speaker of the house or he'll be the speaker of the house working at the pleasure of the democrats right i'm at peace with either result because the american people deserve to know who governs them because his his whole thing is that kevin mccarthy is a democrat like that's that's what he's saying now kind of a ridiculous Ridiculous. Of course but but neither of those things will happen. I mean, Gates is saying that either he'll be removed, he didn't have the vote for that, and then the the Democrats will be voting for him and then they'll own it. They're not going to vote for him, right? So, like, neither of those two things are going to happen. They'll likely. Right, but the, it doesn't matter. Gates will still frame the present vote as McCarthy being serving at the pleasure of the Democrats, uh, because to some extent, that's a believable story that they could have voted no. But they didn't. They chose to stand by and let their guy, Kevin McCarthy, uh, take the gavel back. The 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 unlikely scenario where McCarthy is removed, I think it would create a scenario where everything would grind to a halt because I don't think – unless, like you say, McCarthy just gets back up there like, hey, the guy you just kicked out, like vote me in again. Like there isn't another name that they can offer that will get enough – 
because all the Democrats will vote against the new candidate, right? Uh, as they did last time. So they'll need, they'll be in the same situation as they were at the beginning of the year. Um, it sounds ludicrous, uh, but it has been floated before. The name is Donald Trump. There are enough Republican votes in the House of Representatives right. to make Donald Trump the Speaker of the House, certainly. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is excited about Donald Trump becoming the president again, as he said again this weekend, that he fully expects Donald Trump to be the nominee and to, uh, to, win, the pop- the, to win the election in 2024. Uh, if you're Speaker of the House of the United States Congress, can you be on trial anywhere in, right. in federal court? Well, Seems they, unlikely. Also, uh, if they were to do it, they, they need to do it before the, the, the State of the Union early next year because you'll have like Trump just in the background, right? Like of Trump Biden back there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that nothing, nothing will come of this. I mean, I've, I've been wrong before, but I, I just don't think they, there is enough appetite on the Republican side to go through the picking speaker – and so they're not going to allow – whatever misgivings they have with McCarthy, they're not going to join forces with this Gates guy. Who, by the way, how is he still like a prominent thing? I thought it was uh, being ushered out of like prominence in the among the Republicans. I, I see him all the time now. I don't know. He survived the – whatever that weird sex case was that was uh, dismissed and was never brought against him. So. You, you know uh, – uh, last week uh, during the What Did You Watch, uh, there was that movie I watched, The Money, um, and one of the the terms coined, I think it was like online or maybe somewhere else, uh, with the, the the meme stock, and they, they said, hold on to the stocks, you know, uh, diamond hands, right? Like, you need to have right. diamond hands. And I can't think of a more apt way to describe what uh, the politician facing something like you need to have diamond hands because all of the ones that caved to the pressure to resign, right? Like uh, Al Franken or what are they doing now? They're all regretting their choice to just yep. leave, right? But Menendez, diamond hands, right? Like he's not going anywhere. <laughs> like you have to, he has to literally be put under arrest for him to, to leave. Like, and that's, I mean, if you're going to have gold bars in your, clothing right if you're yeah that was that was the story that i forgot that was on my list of uh, underrated hilarious stories yeah. of the la- of the last couple of weeks yeah. but they found like in his coat closet like old like you know like when you put on a pair of jeans from yeah. last uh, winter for the first time you've been wearing gym shorts and sweatpants the entire summer like it, a fucking slob yeah and then you get the jeans out or the or the 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 autumn jacket that you haven't worn for nine months yeah and you put it on and there's like a 20 dollar bill in there like oh fuck yeah <laughs> gonna be a good day <laughs> bob menendez and his wife have coats full of tens of thousands of dollars that they just, they just keep the cash in their pockets. Apparently because, uh, you know, as a persecuted minority, right. his family has always kept cash handy just in case <laughs> shit turns real bad. So he had half a million dollars in cash and gold bars in his coat closet. He is so like, uh, I'll invoke whatever I need to invoke right now. I'll hide behind whatever group that I belong to. I'll do whatever it takes. But like, same thing with Gates. Like there really is this, this diamond hand strategy for politicians. Just do not let go. All of these, like what was it, twenty and thirty senators, even like his like fellow senator. I bet you like, like Menendez, uh, his office probably helped out a lot. Cory Booker, like oh, junior senator in Jersey will uh, show you the ropes or whatever. And then just 
under the bus immediately. Like, oh, fuck this guy, Goldbard. I can't defend that. You're out. Like, like 30 senators are saying you got to go. And he's like, nope, I will not do that. And what will happen? They'll look at him like, oh, this, this guy, he's not bowing to, like, shame, and which is critical. It's very important if you're going to do the diamond hands in politics. You can't be bothered by shame, right? right? That Admit nothing. <laughs> Admit nothing and have no shame yeah, at all. Have, just... No matter what the story is, how ridiculous the story sounds, uh, and just weather the storm, just hold on, and people will forget about it. Because, like, literally, I turn on uh, Face the Nation uh, this morning uh, from uh, Sunday, and he's like the opening guest to the show. Like, hey, the weird-looking Kennedy guy, uh, what's up? Like, and then he says his nonsense, and they go, they go from there. Like, just do what that guy's doing, no matter what they right. accuse you of. I don't think there's anything else to say about the shutdown. It's all very uh, uh, dumb and bad. All right, real quick, we were talking about the stories that uh, we tell ourselves, and. Lori's not wrong that I'm uh, fascinated by the, the trans rights sort of conversation that's going on uh, in the culture right now. And I think I've probably said most of the things that I would want to say tonight already in the in the past. Well, did, did something new uh, happen? Maybe I missed something. Is, is this just a general There's conversation? There's a couple of stories that I – just a general conversation, a story that I saw uh, or heard on NPR this afternoon – and then also there's some drama with Dax Shepard uh, who's having a, a podcast controversy. The guy from Punk? Yes, Dax Shepard, or as I know him best as the guy from Idiocracy who sits in the <laughs> chair and baiting all the time. Uh, <laughs> Go away, He, uh, he uh, did a good job with that role. I mean, I, be- I bought it. Oh, yes, fully believable. Uh <laughs> Also played the astronaut in the children's movie Zathora, which was sort of a, a, a sequel to Jumanji. Uh, whatever. He has a podcast. People like him. He's married to the, the Kristen Bell. And there are uh, people also they make like. make the rounds on commercials. I see them on, on occasion, usually together. Yeah. Anyway, he had a podcast where he had one of the queer eye uh, for the straight guy fellas on who's apparently non-binary and uses – by the way, if you read four different articles about this so-called controversy, yeah. you will see four different versions of what this person's pronouns are and how they are believed to identify. So this is a person who I've seen identified as non- non-binary, as trans, as uh, some other thing uh, – I've seen them say that they use any pronouns. I've seen them say that they have they, them pronouns, like I, like whatever. The point being that it's impossible to get right. right, that if I go to the Slate article about this, it insists that one thing is true. The EW, Entertainment Weekly article about it, says something else. The Variety article says something else again. And the Wikipedia entry says something else again. And the, almost the whole point of it is that... Uh, like the, and I, this sounds like a shitty way of of understand and a, and a and a bad faith bad faith way yeah. of understanding it. But the 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 power in that is that this person, this Jonathan Van Ness, is uh, definitionally now a victim of this entire news cycle because there are four different articles, all four of which are entirely sympathetic to his position in the conversation. 
are either dead naming him or dead identifying him or using the wrong pronouns. Is that also dead naming something? Like using a pronoun slightly wrong? Is that dead? No, pronoun? I don't know. I just, I, I am exaggerating. Like okay. The dead naming thing, okay. that using that as a convention right. for understanding the other things, the power of that is, is unspeakable. Uh, it's like the, the way that by, by claiming a, a, a sort of proprietary identity for oneself and then demanding that the world adhere to it and going through year by year and having different notions of that identity out publicly so that now I'm now I want you to call me in this fashion that is that it speaks to a power that it it challenges something in the way that I see the world in such a fundamental way, uh, which is that Jonathan Van Ness, this this person who identifies in a certain way, demands that the world refer to them in this certain way, which is demonstrably confusing, right? It, it, is, it is a weird way of being of forcing the world to refer to you to the point where even people who are trying their absolute level best right. to do the polite thing are going to get it wrong, and then you get to claim the moral high ground there. Right. And so it's a weird power, and I saw it on display in an interview that I heard on NPR today uh, on on uh, the Here and Now program in the middle of the day. Uh, it's out of Boston. doesn't matter what it's out of, Bob, you weirdo. It's uh, one teen explains gender dysphoria in a unique way with a toilet plunger. This is an 11-minute long interview with the, the, the teen in question and also uh, their father. This is a person who's born, uh, or, or as in the, in the parlance of our times, they were assigned female at birth. And has uh, believes themselves to be a a, a man and in their soul or whatever, which is another thing about the stories that we tell. This is a person with all of the biological reality of a female individual who is telling themselves, or their bad chemicals in their brain, or arguably, uh, if you want to be as sympathetic and and uh, uh, forgiving about it uh, as possible has a gendered soul, right? This is the way these people talk about this, that and that their gendered soul is different from the way that they physically present. So they were assigned the female gender at birth, but in reality they, are, they believe themselves to be in some way a male. Even though it's the a whole social construct. Right. Right. Even though, even though the whole thing is a social construct, right? Uh, because the the moment that you you start saying that you were assigned the the sex at birth, they say no, right? That that sex itself is in fact a social construct, and that any difference between well, whatever. This is where I start to <laughs> lose it, but. At the same time, they say this is the this is like whether it's the story that they're telling themselves that they sincerely believe, or uh, you could make an argument that it's the bad and unchangeable chemicals in their brain that are telling them this story. Right? Maybe this person sincerely has gender dysphoria and is constantly being bombarded by their own consciousness that they're in the wrong body. Right? right. And maybe I think it's a plausible scenario. That the only effective or maybe the best effective treatment for that is sex reassignment surgery, right? Is the social transitioning of this person into something that more closely resembles the thing that their brain or their gendered soul or whatever is telling them that they are. That, that's a plausible way 
of treating the right. problem. But also, I'm now in trouble because I called it a problem, right? Because like, well, like to suggest that it's a problem is a problem, right? And again, it's because this it's so fraught with everything, we will eventually get to the point where what do you just want this person to kill themselves? Right. Like is that is that what you want to have happen? Because so many of these people end up killing themselves. And and by the way, never mind that it seems like a lot of those suicide statistics about trans youth have been willfully misinterpreted by activist groups in order to get outcomes that they want, right? Never mind that the Dutch Protocol is a study that is that was shamefully misinterpreted to get to an outcome uh, that, that certain Meaning activists— that outcome being a higher number to show that it's— uh... Big- to show that social transition and hormone blocking and puberty blocking and and those sorts of things in children have a higher rate of successful outcomes than they actually do. Oh, I see. Uh, I, I that, see what you're saying. Okay. But to get to the the sort of specifics of this one interview, and again, it's like an 11 minute long interview. I don't want to play an extended clip, but. The amount of power that this individual child dictates in the just listening to their father use the they them pronouns in this conversation and the way that the father is positively reinforced by the child and by the person doing the interview suggests a, a, a level of power in that uh, the dynamic of that relationship that is like it's wildly out of place in any direction whether that's the father uh, in the direction of the of the child like I'm not one of these people who thinks father knows best and that this right. this asshole should just be listening to their father and that, that he's the fucking patriarch and he should be in charge and you just do whatever the fuck daddy says and that's how it should be I'm not that person right Further, I'm not the person who says, actually, this kid knows best and that this kid should be dictating the terms of the way that they are spoken about by everyone else in their lives. Again, I think I've said on the show before, my pronouns are not for me. Right. The, I don't have pronouns. The pronouns are for everyone else. Right. Right. This is not something that I own. It's not a part of my identity. It's the way that the person walking down the street who I've never met before simply conceptualizes me in their head. And I don't own any part of the real estate inside that person's head. And to suggest that I do, it's a tyrannical instinct. And I I can't get past it. Uh, and, And that's setting aside all of the rest of it, which is like, should we be giving puberty blockers and, and hormone transition to children, right? Which is a, a, a staggering thing that you better be absolutely fucking sure of, right? right. And, and this guy who – this Jonathan Van Ness – Jonathan Van Ness goes on the Dax Shepard podcast, and they're having a normal conversation, not about any of this stuff. So he didn't go on the show to talk about this issue. They're just just there as a guest, and the topic comes up. No, and Dax – it's like a, he's a perfectly acceptable centrist lib uh, by by all accounts, right? He's a he's a progressive type. He believes in all of the right things. He's not a reactionary uh, asshole uh, who would insist on on complaining about trans kids or something on his podcast. Who would who would do that? Uh, but anyway, they're talking, and 
they were uh, having a conversation about whether or not the New York Times should be considered liberal leaning because Van Ness is insisting uh, in in lockstep with the organizations like GLAAD and other activist groups that because the New York Times has published uh, in in recent months some of the controversy around uh, uh, gender affirming medicine uh, the awful euphemism that that is, by the way. And if we're, I probably said this on the show before, but I'm going to say it again. If we're using the phrase gender affirming medicine and we cannot agree that that is euphemistic language, then the, then we've already fucking lost the battle, right? Like this is, there's so much, there is, there is more loaded into the phrase gender affirming medicine than there is loaded into my mother's belief that like I chose her as a pre-bodied soul, right? Like there's, there's that level of, of work has gone into uh, crafting that belief. Anyway, they're having this conversation and, and, I'm going to read from this Entertainment Weekly write-up of this because something else that I noticed – I mean it's silly to say. But if you go for a while without consuming uh, NPR and then you flip on NPR after a while, it can – and you've just been reading like the New York Times and the Washington Post and then also you consume whatever normal conservative-ish leaning content that you might consume out there in the world. I tend to get my my news from liberal-leaning outfits and I get my commentary from right-leaning outfits, I guess, just by nature. I'm trying to balance the two things out. If you can, And it's ridiculous to say because now I'm thinking of Mike Pesca as a right-leaning commentator he's when he's like right. – a supremely progressive right. individual, right? Who would think of himself as probably self-describe as a liberal, a left, a fairly far left liberal. But because he's not in lockstep with everybody else on uh, the identity question, he becomes described often as a reactionary or as a conservative type of commentator. Anyway, I'm reading from this. Entertainment Weekly write-up of the Dax Shepard controversy. During the wide-ranging conversation on Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, the duo clashed while discussing whether the New York Times should be considered a liberal-leaning organization, given what Nest... Van Ness described as anti-trans content. To this, Shepard argued using conservative talking points, such as the outlet was merely challenging and asking questions about issues, such as teens taking puberty blockers. The way that that's phrased in an article about this at Entertainment Weekly includes so much bias. I hate when people talk about bias in the media, but to suggest that the New York Times uh, challenging and asking questions about teens taking puberty blockers are conservative talking points is to betray all of your own biases that are going into this in the first place, right? And I don't demand, uh, this is not to say that I want uh, straight down the middle content from EW.com and their celebrity section, which is highlighting a controversy in Dax Shepard's podcast. Yeah. No, no. What I'm saying is that the way that this question is talked about everywhere uh, presumes right. that there's a certain right way to understand this conversation, and the right way is whatever right. the activist class is insisting the right way is, and that anything else is completely unacceptable. Right, or, or your the, the conservative talking point uh, uh, talk. You know, um, Trump was like in court recently, and uh, somebody was talking about like, 
summary judgment. Like in summary judgment, basically, it's like there's going to be an aspect of the case that's assumed as true, right? So basically, a judge decided in his fraud case as far as uh, the inflating his uh, worth, like it is accepted as fact that you did inflate this, right? So like going forward, when we try to settle the other issues at hand, we have to accept as fact that you inflated your uh, your worth, right? And so like it sounds like there seems to be a summary judgment when it comes to certain things, right? So like this writer, the person who wrote this piece, there's like a summary judgment on anything that that that's different from what the accepted belief is it's a conservative talking point so like even if you're not and where did the what, what, that's the thing what where even did the accepted belief come from right and it came out of nowhere right. from nothing from the from a bunch of weirdo sociologists and anthropologists and 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 psychologists who decided uh that this is just an uh, this is just a civil rights question on par with uh gay rights and women getting the vote and black people getting civil rights in the 1960s right. that any Anything that a marginalized class of people, a self-identified marginalized class of people insist is the truth must be the truth moving forward. Right. right. And it's kind of hard to have a de- debate if you, if, you, if you are of that opinion. Like we can talk about it just in, in a narrow sense because the big stuff has already been settled. And like and if you're if you're not uh, if you don't uh, subscribe to that, then you're on the outside uh, earlier I did uh, I know you there's more on that but just real quick earlier I was talking up religion uh, but there are you know as many people will understand there are downsides to religion uh, for instance like a lot of the it's not called a religion but a lot of the the behavior that I'm noticing uh, when it comes to issues like this reminds me of religion like is the, the the orthodoxy the needing to cast out anyone that veers off course like you know these political parties and ideologies there are many different issues right and so if you're if you disagree with somebody on one issue out of 10 that's it you know you're you're in agreement with the other nine you're not gonna throw them out because you disagree on one issue out of 10 right but when it's a religious kind of thing like you need heretics like it's heretical to take the position that the new york times has taken so i don't care what other issues we agree on you are a heretic, you're on the outside looking in, and just like with uh, any other example that falls under this, they're trying to cast out anybody who they'll deem as a heretic, and it falls in line with the way religions work. There's no, like, God here. It's just like this, like, godless religion, like, where it's just like, you have to believe in these things, don't worry where it came from, this is what we believe, and it doesn't matter if it's, like, true, like, there's not even, like, the passage of time, right? I mean, there's... um, Speaking of Mike Pesca, he had an episode just out recently where an, uh, somebody wrote a piece about how they got the trigger warning movement wrong, right? Like five, six years ago, there was all this hullabaloo about like, you don't fucking scare people. You yeah. got to give them a heads Jill, up about Jill Filipovich, yeah. Yeah, so like there was this whole thing where like and – and to me, like I was just like, this is not a workable thing. Like I mean – you're reading an article, you're an adult, you know, you can figure it out. Like there's no way this is going to be a thing. And my thinking is like – the passage of time will sort it out and like, you know, here we are. People are like, that, that didn't work because it wasn't like not effective. Like the trick, it's not like, oh, let's not do the trigger warning because it's, ah, it doesn't seem to work, right? But it actually, it, it's the opposite. Like it's actually causing harm. 
Like when you, if you make everything be this big thing, you're going to process it as this big thing, no matter where it falls on the spectrum. And if you make things worse than they are, your experience of it is going to be negative and it's not going to be a positive. So the passage of time has kind of taught those lessons. I suspect the passage of time on this, there's going to be a similar tale where like, hey, you know what? Maybe we jumped a gun, right? Because there's so much uh, energy on enforcing what people believe because they they think that they're under threat because the New York Times is uh, stepping out of that way of thinking. These random celebrities who are otherwise liberal are saying these things. So they're trying to like, they're like in a siege mentality, right? So like they're not thinking of like the merit of the argument the other person is saying. They they feel like they're under siege because you're not accepting the thing that they want you to accept. But it's also been it's all, so you say that in, with the passage of time things will get better. But if Entertainment Weekly and Variety and the four other articles that I read about this today all take the position of the activist class as gospel right. as as the only correct position and everything else is just conservative talking points or reactionaryism from old white men whose opinions don't matter because of the peculiarities of their identities, then what will the passage of time actually achieve if the culture has already accepted a, a ludicrous series of lies? Like Jonathan Van Ness, this guy is going on there saying that there is no biological advantage of of men over women in sports. Like that's a claim that he makes and he he asserts that the science backs that up, that we have science now that shows that that is the case. Now he just says it. Wait, and then, he and then said he, that? And then he also said, yes. And he also says things about puberty blockers, about how it th- the studies have just shown that uh, blocking the puberty of children is good because it allows them to uh, figure stuff out. And, uh, you know, why should somebody – he says something in his Instagram video where he's like uh, – if a person wants to be a, a, a figure skater or a, or a whatever when they're a child, why would you deny them that? I should just pull it up. Hang on. It fucking drove me crazy. We have dozens of states in the United States that have outlawed gender-affirming care for trans kids. So if there was a young trans girl who wanted to be a figure skater, a gymnast, or a golfer, she wouldn't be able to access the hormone blockers that would prohibit her from going through a male puberty. In other words, what he's saying is there's a, if, you, if the person goes through male puberty, then they will not be permitted to become the... Uh, figure skater of their dreams uh, further on down the line. And therefore, we have to block that thing from happening in order to preserve the possibility that she can be a figure skater in a red state. As though what matters is the, uh, in this conversation, as though what matters is the absurd dreams of a prepubescent child about what sport they want to do when they're 17 or 15 or 22, right? Like, how can that be? How can the whims and desires of a prepubescent child matter in this conversation at all? You're not a serious person if you think that's right. And I think that we're going to, like, it's going to be a very painful and weird thing that happens in the culture when we realize the sort of insanity that we went through when we thought that the right thing to do, that, like, not even if, 
in, on, in the occasional situation where it would and in fact did save a life to uh, give a sex reassignment surgery to a child in the extreme, extraordinarily rare cases where that happens, right? Uh, but but how can how are we going to deal with the fact that like we just that, that that huge portions of the culture unthinkingly swallowed that as the correct response to any child saying i don't think that i'm the gender that i present right. as right there's no version of 30 or 40 or 50 years from now where what we're doing with 6 and 8 and 10 and 11 year old children is just stopping puberty right, right? that there's that, that some percent some 10 or 15 or 20% of kids are just going to delay puberty uh, because they're not sure that we just have to stop everything until we can figure out what the hell is going on, right? Like, that's not going to be the outcome right. of this. You're, I think that you're out of your goddamn mind if you think that's the outcome here. But that has become the only acceptable way of talking about this in polite society. And if you're Dax Shepard and you want to have this conversation, now you're being labeled as someone who's throwing out conservative talking points. And then in Slate magazine, at the end of their write-up about this, I'm going to quote, At the same time, while I understand his central argument that conversations like this are important, I don't think it's healthy for people— to always have to be on the defensive about their human rights. Those kinds of lines of questioning, when someone says they're just asking questions while they continue to invalidate a core part of your experience, don't need to be parroted on massive platforms by trusted people. So what she's saying in this piece about the Dax Shepard controversy is that any conversation around the edges of this question of whether or not there ought to be puberty blockers for children or whether or not uh, uh, post-pubescent males should be permitted to compete in, in women's sports, that is denying the human rights of that group of people. That is an absurdity. That is a complete non sequitur from the conversation that Dax Shepard is having, right? Saying that I'm concerned about uh, 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 high school swimmers not being able to compete against other uh, people of their gender and instead getting blown out of the water by people who, who have gone through male puberty, that's not an invalidation of anyone's life. Right. That's not saying you don't have any right to exist. No, who is saying that? And why is that the thing that we immediately go to? Why, 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 and why do we accept that that level of hysteria about this conversation is necessary and, and moral, right? This is someone right. wielding a giant moral cudgel in the conversation. Right. And it's just completely... It, and, and, and then I'm the one who gets accused, somebody like me accused of being the one who's in a moral panic. You, I'm in the moral panic? Wait, who's are you making that claim that mind? the people who are making me uh, – who, who don't hold or they don't espouse the same things are – they are the ones in a moral panic? I mean like do, are they talking about like what – you know like – what you would imagine, like some sort of Fox News like item, like oh, in this high school they got like this some unfounded thing. Like, are they talking about that, or like what 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 do they mean by? The suggestion is that any objection to the trans rights movement is just a moral panic, and that that the fact that I'm even talking about it as someone who doesn't have any skin in the game suggests that I've become swept up in some sort of grand moral panic. Okay, it's just, I see. Even like, though, like I, I mean, like the the. The, uh, the the stuff that that's being uh, uh, presented as like just 
the fact. A lot of people don't believe that. I, 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 I don't know what the number would be, but the vast majority of people do not believe that. So, like, is this effort by, like, uh, just people who are trying to, like, I guess, I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't even, like, uh, give a description of their motivation. Like, they're trying to force this thing that's not going to take, right? This is going to be another, like, to me, like, I have a, a very little concern about these discussions because it is such a hard thing to convince people when just like with a pronoun uh, thing where, Oh, today it's, I'm going to refer to me this way. And then like, let's back off and, 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 and you like, people are not going to respond very well to that. So like, and you're telling, I agree that people aren't going to respond well to it, but I, I'll make sure that all of the links are in the show notes. I don't expect anybody to actually go through and read them all. But if you go and you look at the read-ups of this stupid Dak Shepard controversy, you will see that there are, and, and I'll, I'm sure I'll be able to find one on Fox news that will prove the point, but like there will be fucking Clay Travis and some other asshole podcasters will talk about this, no doubt. And they will talk about it in one way. And then there will be the mainstream way of talking about it, which I'm sorry, like to me, EW and Variety and Slate, those are all mainstream outlets, right? right? Those are all, ex- and the Washington Post, that is ex- an extremely normal way of consuming your news about anything. And all of them make this exact move, which is to say Dak Shepard is getting his talking points from conservatives and is uh, some degree of a reactionary and shouldn't be questioning the basic human dignity of trans individuals. When that's not like, it's just a completely unfair way of framing the conversation. And then there will be the Clay Travis's and then there will be the foxnews.com story about it, which will uh, make its own, uh, largely, make its own unfortunate mistakes or, or take its own liberties with the actual facts in a way that's not helpful, certainly. Right. Uh, but will be fun- to fundamentally telling a, a, a sort of more honest version of the story than even the entertainment weekly write-up of it uh, will be. Right. And it's like, uh, I, I know that you think, and I think that probably yours is a more... Uh, uh, Obviously, it's a more it's a more uh, measured understanding of what's going on, a less a less concerned uh, 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 way of understanding what's going on. But to me, it's it's telling that these that this is the way that the conversation is allowed to be had in the media uh, on one side of it. And, and then on the other side, you're simply these people are the bad people. And this is the way that the good people have the conversation. And I right. and I, I agree some excessive majority of Americans, if when examining the underlying fundamentals here, probably don't agree with the slate writer right. in the conversation, uh, but at the same time, uh, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right. right? And they don't; they just want to be polite, or, and that is a, that is something else that is weaponized by the activist or, class. Or you know, not not to give uh, uh, people who uh, apply this kind of pressure uh, more ammo, but. They could also be responding to like, I don't want to get the flock, right? Like, which is not where you want your writer to be. To where like, if I say something, uh, then all the people are going to be attacking me, and so I'll just play along for now. Uh, my my, my long term view on this, like, and I mean, like, within the next like three to five years, not like two hundred and fifty million years. Within the next three to five years, like this is going to uh, collapse of its own weight. They're going to do. They're, they're going to look back and say like. 
it, it wasn't a workable way to go about it. Like the uh, the hormone stuff, injecting it to kids, maybe, you know, the parents will do whatever. And also in the grand scheme of things, the number of people that this actually impacts is very small. Like in a country this big, this issue has a very, I mean, the actual issue has an outsized role in, in, in the debate, but the the way we kind of talk about things is important because like you say, why all of a sudden are you accepting things that are like, if you were being that like critical about how people say things like that statement that that person made about men, women, it's all the same. They could play in the same league. I mean, that is like such an obviously, obviously like you just look and watch the sports. Like that is not true. I don't, you kind of risk, losing the credibility that you have, I think, if you make those kind of points, right? So, like, that that's a concern. The people who are kind of espousing these things, they they maybe are targeting just, like, their inner group, you know, that they hang around with. But to a wider audience, you lose credibility when you say things like, men and women, no difference physically. Like, n- you're not going to find that support anywhere outside a very small group of people, right? And so, like... right. Right, except that I agree. However, when I turn on NPR for the first time in a couple of weeks and I listen to story after story after story and the extent to which they are disconnected, that they're, ha- they're simply having a conversation that almost no one that, – that is, that is so far beyond reality-based. Right. Uh, like, I don't know. There, there's a way that this that, – that, ideological capture happens within an institution that is no longer beholden to the normal rules of discourse that they have become instead beholden to the most uh, irrational or emotional or hysterical voices in the room and that anything else is is just completely unacceptable it's it's how you end up with uh with Fox News sounding the way Fox News sounds and it's how you end up with with P- with NPR sounding the way NPR sounds, and it's it's just com- both of them are just so completely disconnected from uh, what I would consider to be reality that I, I don't know how they come back from it. Right, it is. Uh, yeah. I do wonder if they. I guess they don't look at it this way because I think I don't think they're aware of it. But like, how insular must the lives be of the people who make these, you know, write these articles and, and are on NPR, right? I mean, like, do people not go on road trips? Do you not see kind of like how the world is? Like, it just seems kind of like you live in a very insular environment where you say these things which with, with uh, such confidence and you expect, expect everybody else to kind of just repeat after you. It just seems kind of like, how, like you're, how many people are you interacting with? Like, cause just by chance, if you live in a big city, you're going to come across people who think a little differently, and you're going to kind of take that in and maybe kind of change your views. But it's just like, no, this is the the one and true way, not unlike religion. It's kind of a weird thing. Right, and it has so much to do with – and I didn't play a clip from the from the NPR interview with the, with the young trans person – because to some extent, like, I just feel bad for them. Like, because, like, I think that things are going, and who knows, things might turn out great for this individual. But it's so weird to listen to an extended interview with a child and the notion that the things that they're saying simply cannot be challenged. Because to challenge them, and certainly it's not going to be challenged on NPR, but but 
to challenge anything that this child is insisting about their life and the way that they conceive of themselves and the story that they want to tell, that, that to challenge it at all is to do potential existential harm to that individual because otherwise they might kill themselves. Like there's, that, that is what's constantly hanging over this conversation is dad was so brave to do the right thing here. And he's such a good person because you didn't kill yourself, right? And you have such good parents and I'm such a good understanding and empathetic journalist that I wouldn't dare breach any sort of a challenge. The, the thought of challenging wouldn't even occur to me because we know that the, that the guillotine is standing over our heads in the forms of the conversation about uh, trans suicide right. and, and self-harm. And it's, it's like, I don't know. It's not a healthy way to be in the world. No. It's uh, getting late here. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show over at brainiron.com, castironbrains.com. Send us an email, brainironpodcast at gmail.com if you're out there listening. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com for more from him and his wonderful band, Abe. Sounds like you made it to Stop Making Sense in the theaters yes. this week. How was it? It was great. You know, um, this is a recurring thing with me because my memory isn't very good uh, or reliable, but I, you know, going into the theater, I, I was thinking, okay, I probably know like, like, Half of their songs, right? Probably I'll know half of their songs. I mean, I know like every, yeah, but I, I've heard the song here, I heard the song there, and I'm listening sure. to the thing. Had a late, a couple of late nights at Papa John's yeah. way back in the yeah. day. Bob probably played this record a time or two. <laughs> it turns out that I only did not know one of the songs. I was like, I know this, and then they play another one, you know, because they had this setup where it kind of starts very small. It's just like one person. And then all of the different right. things. Come David Byrne. Place. David Byrne comes out and just does a solo version of of Psycho Killer for a few yeah. minutes. There. Also, uh, this may be this is another recurring thing. Uh, there are a lot of people that I have experienced for the first time when they're older, and then I go the other way. So like I, I never like I've heard his music, the the band's music, but it's always like on the radio. You know, I don't associate right. a face and like this. David Byrne guy would make the rounds on the Sunday morning, you know, uh, CBS, whatever shows, when, like, Anthony Mason does a piece on a musician, and he's old, and he's talking about, like, his Broadway thing, and he's old, 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 old. And right. I see this guy, like, he's almost, like, gaunt, like, very young. I'm like, holy shit, this is, like, so, he's, like, so much younger. It's just weird, like, I'm experiencing this last, like, how he used to look. Right. It's kind of... <laughs> this is not how it's supposed yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. But, no, it, it, it was a, a fun experience. I mean, it was, like... um uh, it seemed like this, the, the trend is to show more of this kind of stuff because it seemed like it's working. The Stop Making Sense was somewhat successful. Uh, they're doing the Taylor Swift, and then Beyonce uh, is also getting in on the action the, the upcoming months because I guess they have all these open dates uh, because of the strike. Right. Uh, but I think, like, it, it, you would think, okay, well, why not just go to a, even like a tribute band, like a live band would be preferable, but no, it works. Like if you have a good product, you put it on the screen, people will enjoy you've, it. You've spoiled yourself or ruined yourself possibly for concert films going forward because this is like sort of understood to be maybe the single greatest oh, no concert oh, film know that. ever made. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I mean, is... they, they, those people are right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's... 
Uh, well, good. I'm glad that you liked it. I was, uh, I was excited to recommend it to no, you last week. No, it was, week, so. it was a lot of fun. Uh, I did also see uh, one other uh, uh, thing in the movies. It was a creator. So like uh, Denzel Washington's oh, the, uh, uh, kid is in this. Right, John David Washington starring in a movie directed by the guy who did Rogue One. Uh, yes. The, so the on the on the on the good side, like a visually like I say I don't know how because the budget wasn't like, you know, like Avatar, but like they made it look like a million bucks. Like so it was a very visually right. kind of like a stunning movie. The plot just kind of is all over the place. It's kind of a mess, like especially at the end is it just it's just one of those like I don't know how to end this story, and so they kind of end it. The last like forty minutes, not very good. So I've seen people say that this is one of the most interesting and imaginative movies about this subject, and and one of the more interesting sci-fi movies to come out in a few years. And I, I've seen a couple of people who are extremely excited about it and think it's really great, but acknowledge maybe the story's not quite yeah, all there. The story's not. Yeah. And then I've seen, and then I've seen other people say this is a total fucking mess, piece of shit movie. Don't even bother. And it seems like nobody bothered uh, based on the box <laughs> yeah, office it, returns. It didn't do great. And, and I, I want you know, not 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 that this is an indicator of anything, but I always take it as an indicator. Like if I go see a movie opening night, I do the math. Like the, the theaters, like. You know, like forty percent or under on like, oh, this movie is struggling, and, and this was closer to that. Like, there are other movies that are just like a, a complete sellout. The movies that do well, uh, that right. especially on opening night, uh, and this wasn't that. There wasn't. I do like the story though because it it, it was uh, basically it, it's like it's pitting the robots versus the humans, right? And you know, this like in the near future where there was like a, a nuclear strike or something happened in like a Los Angeles, like a million people died and the humans are like blaming in all these fucking robots. Uh, we need to get rid of the robots. Uh, turns out like right. it's human error, but you know, you got to pin it on somebody. And so they're in a war and like the robots are coming up with this like super weapon in the form of like a humanoid child who Denzel Washington's uh, kid is uh, trying to, whatever but like he is like a human he's supposed to be on the side of the human what is what is john david washington gonna get his name in your mouth when are you gonna because, when are you gonna have that level of respect so here's for? the thing uh this was his last chance because you know he has been uh not the the strength of any of the movies that i've seen like tenet he was like yeah he was okay uh then i saw amsterdam wasn't a very good movie he was okay like he's just in a lot of movies where he's just there and like right. this was like I think he's like best of the bunch, but that's not saying much. Like he's still Denzel Washington's kid. I'm like, how do you, I, yeah. I know I know uh, charisma doesn't work like this, but like, how do you not have like even a little charisma of your old man? Like, yeah, I don't get it. I I have not I have not found him to be very good in anything that I've seen him in. Maybe I guess. The Spike Lee movie from a few years ago was the the most compelling. Oh, that's right. He was in that. Uh, he was in uh, Black Klansman, yeah. right? Yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. Right? Yeah, I, he's, he doesn't seem particularly great. He's fine. But uh, just real quick, because uh, I do have one more thing to to, to mention this is that HBO that the Naked Attraction, the British uh, uh, import. Uh, but oh, but did you watch <laughs> it? Yes. Real quick on the creator though. So they have this. Uh, you know, humans versus robots. So the robots 
they're like, well, I don't know, why are they trying to get rid of us? You know, we can just coexist, and, you know, they're fighting just to kind of be alive, but they're not, like, they have, right. like, no, like, negative feeling about the, I mean, it's not that negative, but the humans like, oh, we can't, it's intolerable, like, your existence is not tolerable, right? So there's no peace <laughs> when you're still fucking around, like, you're hanging around, you, you have to go, and... All of the human strengths, like, so, like, all of the regular intelligence that people, you know, talk up, like, you know, math and science and just, like, regular intelligence, like, the robots, they got you there, right? Like, that's a easy... Right, way better, way better than yeah, us. Such yeah, such an easily to program thing. So, like, how smart is smart, right? If it could be reproduced that easily. <laughs> what the robots cannot reproduce are the evil intelligence, like the conniving <laughs> and the sinister <laughs> plots. And the humans were destroying them like these fucking robots i'm surprised i'm surprised that you didn't really like this movie if this is i I mean it was an enjoyable two hours because it's just funny like these robots are like all right uh we sorted this out so you know as robots they kind of go on sleep mode like a computer would and like this is like i don't know these fucking robots don't know this but they leave themselves fully exposed to a human turning your power off this was in the story. It's like, oh, well, I got this guy. So he just turns the power off. I'm like, that's a pretty... Sounds like a very, sh- sounds like a very short movie, ultimately. <laughs> I, it only happened in one scene, but like the humans are, are doing well only because we're just evil. Like, like oh, you know, it would be a good idea if yeah. we did this. And like Denzel Washington's kid, like he turns, like, oh, these, these robots are pretty good, right? So he's like protecting them. And like you kind of have... Like, capitulates to these robots and he he sinks the the humans i forget how the story ended but like it just kind of just the story just kind of falls apart it had promise it looked great but yeah yeah well i, I was i'm sort of excited to see it eventually yeah, i don't know that i'll necessarily yeah, just, just make it oh, out to the theaters yeah just but. overlook all the all, all the negative stuff all right real quick naked attraction i saw an episode and uh so this is the thing that we talked about last week uh i don't think we named oh, it but it right. is called naked yeah, attraction so there's a yeah. british show i guess they were showing on a regular television there uh not as prudish as the americans apparently uh the concept of the show is like instead of asking questions and doing all this other nonsense we will just show like six you know, so if you're a guy and you're attracted to women, they'll show six women. If they had like somebody who was, goes both ways, so they have three men, three women. Um, basically, they cater to whatever you're into, right? But the way that right. it starts is that they open from the bottom up, right? So they'll show you somebody's vag or some like a lot of well, this is the most uncircumcised uh, dicks I've seen ever because I don't know what's going on <laughs> over there, but whoa. Uh, so they're, they're, they have to whittle it down. Right, so you only get that much information to get. I don't. I don't appreciate you uh, first saying there's a lot of uncircumcised dicks that I saw, and you need to whittle it down. I don't. That's not a not two sentences I want to hear back to back. So they they whittle it down, and then they start to see like other things, and eventually they see their face, and they make a decision just for my limited. So is the first is the first reveal? So the first reveal is waist down, yes. or is it like? Okay, wow. So they don't start with like knees down. No, they just they go, go right go, to the and right to the cock and balls and they treatment. Have, like yeah. very frank discussions about like, oh, do you like a lot of pubes or oh, I'm not a big pube man. And like this, you know, I guess the British are like that. Um, anyways, there is no indication that this is a useful way to determine suitability. Because, like, the, the couple of, you know, they do, like, two contestants, like, per episode. I think I, I, I'm, like, two episodes in. So I've seen, like, four of these things, right? 
And every time, now, to be clear, this is not this is not an American version no. of this show. This is, they're just showing us the original, the British, original British television version. Program. Yeah, the, the original okay. British show. These are all British people. Uh, they'll do like you know, once they make their selection, they'll go on a date, and then they'll follow up with them in a few weeks. And almost always, it's like ah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you know, I find you like hot, but like there's nothing really there. Like there's like no indication that. Uh, that is well, a useful way so it, to determine. It, it performs. It performs no better than normal internet dating. Right. Then is what you're oh, saying. <laughs> maybe even worse. Uh, I will say though, the uh, I, I have long accepted that I uh, have uh, slight color blindness. Right. I'll accept that. I don't. I don't. I don't think I can see all the colors that all the you stupid other people can see. Uh, fine. Right. But I think I'm not wrong all the time. There was like a uh, uh, what well, was clearly. Uh, a purple color, you know, because they have the contestants behind different, you know, oh, I want to get rid of the blue. Boo, get out of here. So, like, okay, so right, I don't right, know their right. names or, or, you know, the person with, you know, the fat one. Like, they can't say that. So, they'll just <laughs> do by color. And it's clearly, like, a, pur- a purple color they keep on referring as pink. And, like, I, I, I'm like, there's no way I'm wrong about that. Like this, and, and I don't know. Maybe the British do pink and purple differently, but I my my vision when it comes to color can't be that bad that I can't tell pink and. Well, I have I, I have no way of answering you I, here because I can't I, I see will, that. I uh, will take a screenshot and send it to you at some point. But like, it is clearly <laughs> uh, one of the colors and not the other. Do they do the producers try to match up people of similar? As you said, yeah, I don't want the fat one. So does the contestant's body shape roughly mirror the six potential dates body shape? So, no, or- so there, there's some variety in body shape. But, uh, so they, they don't really spell this out, but they basically, you give them what you're into, but they're like big boobs, small boobs, or like bush, no bush, you know, like that kind of level right. of information, not like whatever right so like they basically they say these are the things that you said you liked about the opposite sex gotcha. and it'll come in different right. packages I, so, so I, I like an athletic build for example you're not going to end up with a bunch of uh tubos no. on the uh unless it's like, like some sort of sumo wrestler woman or whatever but like <laughs> <laughs> yeah they try to kind of uh, yeah, accommodate and, and 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 so far uh there's only been one person that was like like slightly heavier and she got kicked out like almost immediately so. <laughs> uh, it's not funny, but it's like it. it at, at the very least, this is an extremely. Uh, I was about to say very revealing uh, show, but I'll try not. I mean, it's too late. I've said it now, but it's revelatory of human appetites in a way that is ex- extremely unforgiving. I would right. imagine, like it's not. You're not going to overlook. When, when what's presented to you is the slab of meat, yes. there's not really any other way yes. to judge the slab of meat than by its slab of meat nature. Right. And, uh, and uh, they, uh, uh, these are not models. These are very much regular people, and they're regular people bodies. These are like... So it reinforces my hypothesis that there are way more humiliation fetishists <laughs> out there in the world than we... Uh, would normally think, right? Like, why is why are normal people with normal genitals and normal bodies subjecting themselves to uh, extreme public nudity and judgment? So, I don't understand. Do you think it at it's all. just our perspective, like the, the prudish American? Maybe it's like just you know every day for them over there. I don't know what it's like in Britain, but 
the, and, and, and excuse young as you would expect, you know, like twenty two year olds, you know, twenty four year olds. Oh, I'm a, I'm a barista, and here's my cooch. You know, like have at it. Right. <laughs> like it's very yeah. Uh, it's all downhill from here too, by the way. If you're fucking 22, it's not getting any better long term. I will say though, uh, a surprising uh, 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 number of people are big on tattoos, even in Britain. Tattoo everybody. Everybody's tattooed. Abe, uh, almost afraid to ask. Have you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then, and we'll talk to you next time. Later. <laughs> First of all, the pillow that I found, and I should have tried more pillows, admittedly, very fluffy. I wasn't uncomfortable. My neck feels fine, but my stupid brain, I would be sleeping, and then my brain would be like, oh, you're sitting up. You must be awake. Ah. And I would try to go back to sleep, but like the, it wasn't, it was too upright. It was huh. like sleeping, sitting up, and then and you, you said because it was that. fluffy or like firm. What? This... It was fluffy. Okay. It was, but like not. It was very big. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Lori had pillow problems. Uh, <laughs> pillow problems. I'm not going to use the term pillow princess because that has some certain sexual connotations Doesn't that I'm not. Well, I I feel like that. She's a, a bit of a pillow princess in this. A particular case, though. Um, we stayed up really late talking to people. Sure, and we we, we stayed night. up late. We were drunk, uh, drinking I at only least drank one one night. of the nights. Yeah, oh. and didn't sleep great for various reasons. And then we had the concert last night. And we were we, out until almost we we stayed up late again, and I, we couldn't decide whether or not we should even go to this show. And it was like, what are we going to regret more? Like, am I going to regret yeah. not seeing one of my favorite bands in town where I live? Or am I going to regret seeing them? And, like, I'm going to regret either thing. So we went. So Lori left it up to the 10-year-old who is always up to do stuff. It's not like, so, always. Calvin, not should always. We, should we do stuff? And Calvin was like, yeah. Yeah, we should no. probably do stuff. Because he, on Saturday, watching football, he didn't want to go downstairs. He wanted to just stay in the room and watch. Yeah, it's because he was mostly concerned with his video game experience more so than anything else. But... How those Giants do tonight? You don't have any uh, parlays? You taking the, the week off? No, no parlays, but I did... I did lose $10 on the Giants tonight. Oh, not particularly <laughs> close. Ooh, 24 to 3. 24 to 3. That's it's like no Geno Smith or whomever they got. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, my God. Them. Daniel Jones, 97-yard pick six in tonight's game. No. Oh. He's so bad. Oh, no. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.